0: Reveille, Reveille, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip.
1: This is our life, this is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm
0: Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Well, it is the 19th of July, 2021, and it is time for episode, whatever number it is of morning combat. Hello everyone. As you can see, I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS sports and Showtime and some other places. And the man on that side of the screen, I think I did it right. Uh, the King of Connecticut, the King of sending his kids to basketball camp himself. It's BC, Brian Campbell. What up BC?
1: Oh, Luke, it's great to see. Luke, you always look like a substitute teacher when you wear that shirt. I know your wife bought it for you. You look handsome in it, but uh, you also look like you're ready to just babysit us, which is probably yeah, so your I'm gonna role pull, in to pull. I'm
0: going I'm to get the VCR on the TV on the moving crate, and then I'm just going to show you kids something, and I'm going to mail it in. Great exactly.
1: Papers. Great to be here, Luke. I have not been mailing it in as Mr. Mom over the weekend, so uh, a lot of stuff getting done in my hands. Uh, can we value our wives here for a second, Luke? They are They are mm-hmm. uh, incredible and uh indispensable in terms of our daily life so filling in for that role is uh is a handful but i'm here i've watched fights i'm ready luke i i do realize something that you and i are the the lennon mccartney of uh of combat sports uh Mm. analysts and showmakers here so uh the good news is that we're dynamic and brilliant and there's no one like us the bad news is that yoko's coming right that rift is coming between us eventually where we'll break apart go our separate ways right Uh, songs scathing songs about each other like how do you sleep at night and then eventually you'll die on a sidewalk by an enraged fan but um oh
0: wait I'm the guy who gets uh, yeah yeah you're gonna
1: you're gonna get murdered yeah I'll get knighted though in the end so it's really it's a it's a net it's a net win for me in the long run Luke but until Yoko shows up I'm happy to rule the world along with you thank you
0: well we had a great weekend took the kids to the pool as I mentioned and, and I know you have been playing Mr. Mom my wife actually leaves for a business trip tomorrow. So I have to Ooh. double in that role on this side of things as well. Maybe hey, we be can a lot share of-
1: cooking tips, Luke. I've been yeah. sauteing uh, par- uh, all kinds of shit. Yeah, all right. Yeah,
0: here's my cooking tips Uber eats. What does my child eat? I'll just do that. Yeah. Um, but it should be a lot of fun. Over the weekend, there were a lot of great fights. We had Bellator on Friday. We had UFC on Saturday. We had Castaño and Charlo on Saturday night as well. Plenty of controversy all the way around. So we had a lot of stuff to get to here, as always, folks. And if you're new here, thumbs up on this one of course uh subscribe if you haven't done that already trying to push the subs numbers up you can see where we are on social media these are all of our uh places to reach us and all the various names morning combat's name is consistent across all outlets though so that's a good thing uh if you want to try showtime if you still haven't done the thing go do the thing you can go to showtime.com 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can move on but you missed a lot of good fights over the weekend if you didn't have showtime i don't know what you're doing. I'd also say if you want some merch that neither of us are wearing at this point, you can go to morningcombat.store and uh, you can change that. Although, oh, how did you get it, BC? How did you get it?
1: How did I get what? This this mug? I, yes. I, remember we were given two at the uh, at the old bomb shelter? I took one home and left one there for, for
0: uh, live oh. shows. So. Oh, you yeah. sneaky, sneaky little man. Yeah. All right. Well, and anyway, that, that mug is BC and I. BC and I never really discussed it, but I think we both agree that's our favorite mug, right?
1: It's not even available on either of our merch stores. I guess I know. if we make a third merch store, it'll be available on there. Hey, Luke, can we get Factory Town MMA shirts out there? I feel like we're, we're, we're losing money just by not
0: getting yeah. our best Yeah, shirt yeah. there's it. lots of things we could be doing that we're just not, so I blame
1: all right, but, but final, final warning to our fans. Look, seriously, if, if, you're, if you're on board with what we're doing, but you're physically not yet on board, you haven't liked and subscribed, you haven't gotten your 30 days of showtime to find out what's going on, like, what's wrong with you? It's like yeah. it's like we're on, like, the seventh date. Can, can, can you put out? Can you get in my backseat already? Can we, can, we make yeah. the, can we consummate this thing already, okay? You know, like, I, I'm not taking you out to all these dinners because I think you're beautiful, right? You know what I mean? If you're going to come...
0: Well, or that fart, 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 oh Jesus Christ, I was going to make a joke, come on. now I'll just stop and bathe in my own L. Come on,
1: <laughs> come on already, alright, let's go, okay? Uh,
0: also as a reminder, if you got any fan submissions or dead wrongs, morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to send any of those. People send them to me, usually they're all wrong and uh, I have to correct them, but you can go to morningcombat at gmail.com, that's the best place for that. Uh, and I think that's it, PC. you ready to get this party started? Yeah, let's get this party started right. Let's get right. this party started quickly. All
1: right, let's do it. Let's do this thing.
0: Okay, here we go. We're going to kick things off with what I think was the biggest fight of the weekend. I think BC agrees as well. Jermell Charlo, Brian Castaño, there was no unification. There was an attempt at unification, but ultimately did not succeed in either direction because it was ruled a draw. You had one judge, I think had it 116-113 for Castaño... There was a 117-111 for Charlo, and then a 114-114. Brian, let me ask you the question in this way. When I watched it live, it was close, no doubt about it. And each guy, if you wanted to say that they won, did very different things in order to get there. Still, when the fight was over, I thought Castano deserved the nod. Did he?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. He did 100% on my scorecard, which, as I talked about in the Instant Analysis Podcast, which you can check out on our YouTube channel from Saturday, uh, eight rounds to four for Castanio. But let's be honest, Luke. Uh, my initial reaction of of using words and tweets like Castanio was robbed, Castanio was screwed, it has a lot to do, obviously, with that rogue scorecard. But but look, at, at terms of the, the result. A split draw. Was Castaño robbed or screwed? Not necessarily. Look, I scored at eight rounds to four. I felt like if you were going to lean, you can even lean in the other direction of giving Castaño more rounds. I do acknowledge and understand that not only did two of the judges, but a lot of my peers in the industry watching at home and scoring were closer to a draw. And that's fine. So from that standpoint, not just a close and competitive fight, an awesome fight. This was a fantastic Chess match which got heated up late by Charlo's comeback. Let's let's praise a lot of things, Luke. The defense of both, the, the technique of both, the adaptions made by both, the drama and the in the intensity. This was a great fight. There were very close rounds. In fact, three of the middle rounds I scored to Castanio based a lot on just his flurry in the final minute. I thought he did great. Uh, you can't call it clock management per se, like it's comparative to basketball, but just knowing the situation, there were some really close rounds where I felt like he flurried at the end, knowing the situation, knowing that if you're going to try to win it over in the judge's mind, it's it's not dissimilar to what Sugar Ray Leonard did against Marvin Hagler in their fight where at the 32nd mark, you know, his corner would yell out and he'd go on a flurry to try to be the last thing the judges remember. So what does that say? That said, a lot of those flurries won me over. But we're talking about very close rounds with low punch output, in which, yes, it could have gone either way. So, Luke, I thought Brian Castaño deserved to win this fight. I thought at absolute worst, he deserved what? I guess a split draw, which is what he got. But my problem is you can't separate what happened there from what happened in that third scorecard, Nelson Vasquez. 117-111 117, 111 for Charlo. Nine rounds to three to Charlo. Luke, before I throw it back to you, I want to make this point. I've seen a lot of people online saying, look, okay, that scorecard sucked. We all acknowledge that. We all hate that scorecard. We don't understand it. We want to see change, blah, blah, blah. But hey, bro, the scorecard didn't affect the fight. That guy had C- Charlo winning anyway, and it was a close fight. No, I got problems with that, Luke. That scorecard did affect the fight, not just in putting a bad taste in the mouth of boxing in general on the way out. But it make, it gives the illusion or the or the the perception. And tell me if I'm wrong, Luke. Seriously, put me in my place. It doesn't give the illusion of a bad night at the outing for you know a bad outing for one judge, one bad night at the office. It gives the illusion that Castaño never had a chance, that he was coming in there you know one wing clipped from the beginning, that he was going to have to get a knockout or win incredibly wide to have a chance. That's what that scorecard says. That third scorecard says to me. And that's just some bullshit that we deal with on a regular basis in boxing, unfortunately. But I'm sorry. It's hard to take that stain out of my mouth and just be like, great fight. We'll put that to the side. No. Luke, the lead story is that third card, scorecard sucks, and we got to change something here because that was a great fight that I hate that the first thing I'm talking about is Nelson Vasquez and not Brian Castaño or Jermell Charlo's late surge. Um, tell, put me, tell me if I'm wrong here. Draw, okay. But but a split draw with a shit ass scorecard? No, not having it. Not having it. Not going to sit here with a with a with a clean bill of health and tell you don't worry about that, boxing fans. No, worry about that. That sucks. That's not cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the way I I, I did this. We're, we'll talk about it for the main event for Bellator here in a little bit. Where I saw some people getting really upset at the result for Velasquez winning a split decision to retain her title over Denise Kielholtz. And what I told folks at the time, and I really stand by it. It's not that you can't disagree or make a really compelling argument for why Denise Kielholtz deserved to win. You, you probably could. In fact, I, I, I'll again, we'll get to this later. I think if you judge it under pride or one rules, I think Denise Kielholtz did win. The problem is that if a fight is close, really, 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 really close, um, where there's actually not a lot of action and there's not a lot of differentiation between the two... You know, you can complain about the car, but it's really hard to get righteous indignation about it. It's when the judging is relatively easy or the scores are like completely off of of anything even remotely where it should be. So, for example, I think it was 116-112 or 116-113. Okay, uh, yeah, for Castaño, I can absolutely see that, you know, 114-114. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that seems like they're they're making a good faith attempt at trying to get a, you know a very difficult fight right. Jam- Jamel Charlo was pointing out after the fact that a lot of the punches that people thought were landing were not. He was blocking them, so I actually went back and I watched in slow motion on some of it. He's right, dude. A lot of that stuff did not get through. Although it obviously looked pretty good for Brian Castano to have you know Jamel Charlo up against the ropes. 117-111 is just so far outside what even seems rationally plausible that you're asking yourself, like, was this person who was judging on that night, were they really the best judge you could have had? Were they really up to the task? Were they really capable of doing this job correctly? So I'm with you. I understand the point that like, could you find somebody who was doing a good faith attempt and maybe came up with a Charlo scorecard? No doubt about it. You probably could. If you're getting to 117-111 territory, you have somebody that has difficulty ascertaining what they're looking at. And that's a totally different ballgame. I will say, though, BC, it deserves to be said a couple things here. One, I did think the fight was good. Really good, as a matter of fact. Two, I thought that Castagna won. Three, here's something kind of interesting. Even Charlo's trainer, Derek James, into the last round was like, dude, you've got to knock him out. He was repeatedly warning he thought Charlo may have been losing a little bit. You know what's kind of funny about the Charlo brothers this last, let's say, month or so that the two have fought? Montiel is not the same as Brian Castaño in a number of different ways. I mean, their skill level is different and tactics are different. But in the sense that a come-forward guy gave them problems, which is sort of a generic way of describing it, I think what's kind of interesting is Jamal won his fight, but I think we both agree that like, was that the very best of Jermall? I, I did not agree that it was. I thought you got a, a much better version of him in the Derevyanchenko fight. Different opponent, but still. Same with this one. I did not think this was the best that Jermel Charlo had to offer. He had moments. The second round was great. Uh, obviously, uh, he had the 10th round was phenomenal for him. And he had moments all in between where he looked dynamite. What's kind of interesting to me, BC, is that I, I, I don't know if there's any kind of connection between them. They don't even train together. I don't know what it is. But the Charlo brothers, I think, are super underrated, especially and including Jermell. But I don't think we got the best of them on this night. Credit to Brian no. Castaño for not allowing that to happen. It makes me more intrigued, though, I will say, for the rematch, given the, the opportunity for other things he could be doing that I think would be more in his interest.
1: Yeah, who can improve in a rematch? Without question, Jermell Charlo. That's why he was the favorite coming in. In a lot of ways, Castaño fought perfect, to try to put himself in position to to get a decision over a guy, which is hard to do, right? And it's why, to be honest with you, it's why we get extra mad when we feel like the rogue scorecard given to the the bigger name fighter. That's when you start to feel like, is this on the up and up? And that's why it gets us really mad. But let's talk about what Castano actually did. Luke, first and foremost, okay, because Charlo's heavy counter-punching style was working the first couple rounds even though i scored the first three rounds two of them for castanio and one for charlo um i thought Charlo did a great job at 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 sort of disarming castanio and and bringing down his punch output with the thread of the counter shots but it was the adjustment that castanio made to that luke and specifically his defense was off the charts Castano was known more as a guy who almost squares up when he gets inside yes he'll wear you down to the body he's got great a great chin he's got great stamina but when, it, when push comes to stu- shove, he's more of an aggressive, overachiever, we thought, than fully skilled, high IQ guy. No, that wasn't the case. He came out with a beautiful defensive effort, and the key adjustment, Luke, I thought was going to the lead right hand, which is a certainly unorthodox approach when you're not facing a southpaw. It's a great punch to, to get a one-up on a southpaw. Not an easy punch to land against a a coiled cobra like charlo who's just waiting for you to make that mistake yet castanio used that looping right hand which i don't even think he was putting a lot of power on but just the fact that it was landing it was making jermel recalculate have to reset and then that's when castanio would close in so he was able to get inside really without paying a price for it also luke if we're going to talk about the things charlo didn't do great abandoning no, no his jab, jab for yep. big stretches was just, that's bad news. That That is bad news. It's going to create closer rounds than need to be. But most importantly, Castaño doesn't have to pay the toll to get inside. What I didn't see coming was Castaño's defense, which I had said was responsible coming in, I didn't think it was going to be brilliant. And then two, he found ways to get inside without having to pay that big toll. That was the key. Then you had some very close chess. And, you know, chess meaning we're not seeing a lot of output, but we're seeing a lot of fainting and a lot of setups and a lot of adjustments. And from that standpoint, Luke, it was great theater. I thought Castaño got the better of Charlo. I'm here to give Charlo a lot of respect on seizing the sense of urgency that he, I thought he lacked throughout the middle portion of the fight when it was time down the stretch. I gave him the last three rounds. He was really going after it. He looked like he was on the verge of a knockout or a, or a knockdown in round 10. But, Luke, I think if anyone has a, a lot of room to grow, it is Jermel Charlo. This was not his best performance uh, if he comes out there, Luke, and looks to work off the jab and be a be, a, it'll make his counter punching even more dangerous, I think. And also, he's got to realize that some guys you're just not going to get out of there. So you have to make sure, without a question of a doubt, that you have done enough on the cards to outwork them. Especially given that certain judges have certain strike zones. I felt like Jermell did none of that, and um, although he's lucky to come away with a draw. I think you got to look at this almost like a loss in a lot of ways, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Like where he's got some things you've got to go back to the lab and work on. The skills are there. I think the IQ's there. I think just putting it in the right place in the right times in, in, with him and Derek James, there's some adjustments that need to be made.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say about Castano that I did not see coming as well, even though we, we knew it was there, you had homed in on it, is the defense. There were so many times Charlo was stepping back or pressed against the ropes and he would go for one of his patented you know, thunderous counter punches. There was a lot of different kinds he was looking for. Uppercuts a little bit later. I thought he could have gone to that a little bit earlier. But, you know, just a lot of counters, hooks, whatnot. And you saw Castaño just be so defensively responsible. To me, the offense of Castaño did not necessarily blow me away. But what he was able to do was he was able to pressure uh, Charlo backwards, throw things, then block and roll with whatever Charlo was throwing, which... Continue, which meant, which allowed Castaño to continue the onslaught. It allowed the rain to keep going. It wasn't a hurricane. It wasn't a torrential downpour, but it was just steady by virtue of the fact that he could not get out from under the weather. That to me was brilliant. I've seen so many counterpunchers and, and uh, I should say so many come forward brawler types like Castaño in MMA and in boxing. Because you know this as well as I do. And what's their ticket to fame? They have a big punch. They stay in your face. You know, they'll put their forehead in your chest and just go to work. But they take a lot of abuse along the way. Dude, Castaño does not. He does not take a lot of abuse along the way. He is so good about taking a style, and it makes him a little bit less offensively potent than some of his sort of stylistic cousins. He doesn't quite have that same, at least not in this fight anyway, didn't have that same kind of overwhelming presence. But at the same time, he was much fresher throughout the duration of this fight, maybe for his career, because he just wasn't taking the kind of shots that t- previous Charlo opponents get backed up off on. Get, you have to make think twice about certain scenarios, have to really wonder about. He was putting himself in a position to just do more volume work, even if each individual shot I did not think was necessarily game-changing. And if you're watching
1: that and you're like, what's Jermel's problem, man? Pull the trigger. The reason why he wasn't, Luke, I think is look a little little bit off on the game plan, but also like Cassano wasn't making mistakes and that's what a counterpuncher like Jermel Charlo waits for. You to make a mistake, overreach, go for something big and miss it And, look, he'll get you out of there with one punch. But, uh, Luke Castano, did did you agree with me that not just the flurries in some of these late rounds, but he was sort of figuring out, look, I'm not – because let's give Jermell also credit. Jermell's defense was fantastic as well. Like, that's why this fight was so close. Jermell, outside of what, that right hand he took in round two against the ropes where he looked like he may have been a little shaken up and his knees buckled, or maybe that was round three. Either way, I don't think there was another punch where you were like, Charlotte looks damaged or hurt at all. But what Castano did, knowing that, Luke – was he would just kind of throw these three-punch flurries knowing I may only land one of these. And I may only land it partially, but it gives that image that I'm taking the fight to my opponent. Because I think you saw that. Charlo way too willing to put his back to the ropes. And if anything, Luke, that just gives the wrong impression to the judges.
0: Last thing I'd say on this is Charlo's style up to this point was the one that it has evolved into. Obviously, you know he's not been a static fighter for his career. He's had changes himself. But there's been a lot of Situations like the Harrison fight, BC, including the rematch, where Charlo will just give up rounds and then lose, but then have these like thunderous moments, sometimes early, but certainly, you know, midway to later in the fight, where he just wins and then you just forget about that fact. The the, the hole here for him against Castano was he just didn't have those thunderous moments. Okay, you know, second round, 10th round, whatever, but not, he didn't even get a knockdown. He just kind of, you know, wobbled and hurt and backed up Castano. Like, man, if your whole style is predicated on you got to hit the home run shot. Okay, maybe you're hitting doubles, maybe you're even hitting triples, but without the home run shot, what is left of your your game there? Yeah, that is something I think he's going to need to adjust to. Brian Castagna was when they rematch, and they will, he is not going to go away quietly, man. You have to really land on a guy who's well, hard to land on, that. or you got to do more volume work. And I think that was a problem for him.
1: Well, I think there's potential in a rematch, Luke, for it, where the, where this one was exciting from a you know drama tension mixed with skill. I wonder if that rematch has a chance to be just more all action. If Charlo's realizing, look, i got to take more chances, I've got to jab more, I've got to have more of an output, I wonder if that allows more opportunities for Castaño to step on the gas with more combinations, and then we see a lot more of two-way fighting, which is almost, you know, almost even better. But to talk about when will we see the rematch, will we see it, there is some potential for boxing politics and pitfalls, Luke. I'm really hoping that those with power in this case, meaning PBC, showtime, meaning Castaño's, you know, promoters and advisors, really push the sanctioning bodies to make this rematch sooner than later. In fact, maybe even next. Why? Because you had a lot of questions. You had some, some, of course, some hangover from the, the crappy scorecard where I think you want to put all that behind you. So let's run it back. Both fighters have the opportunity to retool, come back, and, and get a deserved clear win. The problem we could have is because there's so many mandatories due, and that's, again, why you don't end up seeing a lot of undisputed fights I'm hoping that the, the the sanctioning bodies don't go, well, no, you got to fight this guy first, you got to fight this guy first, and it delays it, Luke. Even though the mandatories in these cases, there's some good options there. Uh, for example, Erickson Lubin is the mandatory for Jamel Charlo. We'd all love to see that rematch. And for Castaño, we got Tim Zoo from down under, Luke, the son of the mm-hmm. legend Costa Zoo, who's been just destroying folks. It, he's the mandatory for Castaño. Good God, would I love to see that fight. But I want to see those fights after we get concrete closure from this rivalry, and after we get what we were supposed to get. One name, one face, one division, one champion, the undisputed king. Let's find that out first. So if you're a sanctioning body and you're out there thinking, can't wait to get them them, them," uh, sanctioning fees here, can we do this one more time, please? Can we fix what, what comes out as a great close fight, but also comes out as a little bit of a shit stain because of the way that third scorecard played out, Luke?
0: Last thing I'll say on this is you had a tweet about it, about, you know, to what extent should referees or judges be made available to the media following uh, events like these. It's something I've talked about in mixed martial arts as well, And, and it's interesting. Texas poses different problems for MMA and boxing, yet, you know, they end up in a similar kind of position. So, for example... When John Jones fought Dominic Reyes, you know part of the reason why Reyes lost that fight is because he literally backed up because Texas uses an outdated scoring system where just walking forward uh, is supposed to carry a lot of uh, influence with the judges when we know that like that's sort of a primitive way to adjudicate fighting. And then there's no real way to get anything from the judges about why they scored the way that they did and blah, blah, blah. And here you have something different where I don't think it's so much the rule set, but You just have this sort of like Texas lack of effort at doing regulatory affairs at a high level. They don't have the same kind of pride, for example, that the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board does. And so you get these scenarios and they're like, I don't really know what the way to fix this is because – Texas is still a great place to take fights, too, for a lot of different reasons, both both for MMA and for boxing. You would obviously want to service those audiences. But, dude, as long as the promoters keep going there, there's no real mechanism to crack down on the athletic commissions themselves. If the if the fights keep going there, I don't know what to tell folks. This well, is fights just are what going you're to keep going to there,
1: Luke. Not just because Nevada and Texas and Florida, in a lot of ways, are considered in some cases soft commissions where you can get things done that maybe you couldn't elsewhere but because all three states offer such great tax laws for the main eventers that that's why you know why do so many big fights end up in those three states because the tax laws there's no question that's why a lot of big name fighters won't fight in new york at madison square garden because the taxes taxation is so brutal but more importantly we need accountability and until we get a national commission that has a backbone uh we're not going to get that accountability we we demand it, right, from the commissions. We don't get it. So what I need is some built-in accountability, which is the the theme of my tweet, which basically says, Luke, uh, I was referencing it in the uh, instant analysis, and I did not remember the name, and, and the viewers jumped in and told me, do you remember that perfect game attempt by Andres Gallar? Or uh, not Andres, the other Galarraga. He was a pitcher for the Tigers, and he was like on the verge of a perfect game no-hitter like 10 years ago, and the there was a play at first, and the, and the ump blew it, right? He blew the call. He called the guy uh, safe. He was out, whatever. And afterwards, that ump did, like, freaking three days worth of media. And in the interviews, he had to explain himself, and eventually he came to the point where he's, like, crying. He's like, dude, I screwed up. I saw the replays. I screwed up. I cost this guy this moment. I'm sorry. So do I want accountability to the judges and commission members so I can get them to cry and turn around and say, no, not necessarily. I just mean, if there's no built-in accountability, like you have, you know, one or two controversial scorecards and you're suspended or fired, or there's some kind of better, you know workshop there to keep everything clean then let's have the built-in forced accountability of facing the music on camera on the microphone even if luke the response is just one-sided bs at least we got record of that at least the fans the fighters the promoters everybody is looking right into the face of that person who made that decision we get a chance to hear them explain it because there may be cases where you're like oh okay i get it And also, you know, there's there's always things to take into account, like sitting closer, you see things differently. Sometimes you can't see things because your your view is blocked by the backs of the fighters. It's a lot to take in. But wouldn't you rather hear somebody talk about why they may have scored it that way rather than just continue this narrative of boxing's broken, boxing is bullshit. So I would love to see that, Luke, if they're not going to sanction themselves the right way, at least let the court of public opinion jump in with more facts and be able to see that. I think that will put more pressure on the judges. Look, I, I respect, by the way, the great judges. I respect the pressure that they have on them. They're like a field goal kicker, you know, uh, w- where they come out for that one moment in the main event, and they got to be perfect or not, or they're a go, and I get that. But I think there's a lot better ways to do this. And one more point on boxing judging, Luke, which sometimes people lose... In the case of this fight with anyone who scored the draw or close, we do have to realize one thing about boxing judges. They're not giving a score at the end of the fight saying who they thought won the fight. They're giving individual scores for 12 individual rounds, and however the math breaks out, that's who won the fight on their cards. So even if one fighter looked better, it's still a 10-9 must scoring system. The judges at the end of the fight aren't saying... Uh, I think it was Castanio. Here you go. No, it's a math system based on round by round. You got to remember that, though. Even I have to remember that when we get going hard and saying, "Oh, this fighter got screwed." Okay, nine rounds to three, Charlo. Yeah, they got screwed off that. The other ones, it's what you see in the moment, and you got to remember that it's a full fight. It's not just little pockets of it.
0: The last thing I'll add, then we'll move on to the UFC. Is part of the reason why I don't have a whole lot of hope is that I don't think Texas cares about doing a great job. Right, the folks involved in the government there. You know, it's your standard BS. You know, Department of Motor Vehicles kind of attitude. It's good old boys. Everything.
1: They got a shitty right. resume. They got a shitty reputation, Luke. It's like a good old boy system. It's like nobody cares.
0: So, like, unless they are pressured by the entity that they have to answer to—the governor, or whoever else—this is just what you're going to get. It's a, it's a yeah. tragedy. But um, you, you, the only way you get you get real force of change in combat sports is when the outside uh, pressure's in. But we don't have that. Okay, let's talk about some of the MMA. Well, Luke, over but the hold weekend. on, real
1: quick. That's why it's up to us. I believe. Tell me if I'm wrong. Like you know, there's we care about journalism. I care about entertainment too. So I'm sometimes in the middle there. But it is up to us to like be like this sucks. It needs to be fixed. Here's the people that did it. Let's do something about it, right, Luke? I mean, there is some responsibility here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you are a media member, you have a, you have an obligation to call the how dismal the situation is and why it is the way that it is as accurately as possible of course but at the same time like i've come to this with mma too like dude like, take fighter pay for example i, I am very i'm uh, uh, dude mma's dna at least initially was before you know uh, certain factors got involved was to be outside the bounds. It was to be the most outrageous. It was to be oh yes, yes a call to truth. But it was it was from a regulatory standpoint designed to be you know really pushing the boundaries. The only way MMA has ever really changed is yes, there's been times internally where folks tried to change it from the inside out. But the overwhelming majority of times that MMA has changed in any capacity whatsoever, any kind of real way, is because outside pressures forced it to. That's really the only way you're going to get any meaningful change. And so like, unless the commission in Texas for MMA or for boxing has outside pressures that it answers to, to force it to change, you're just going to get what you're going to get. So I understand your point about the principle of truth telling. I think that's real, but I don't, to be clear, I don't think you were saying this, but I'm just sort of reiterating. I don't think that leads to any kind of meaningful improvement. That's all.
1: Yeah. Okay. But if we don't see improvement, Luke, you're going to keep losing those, those people that are ready to give you their money. Those casual fans that want to be full-time fans that get turned off by the idea that they feel like there's no rhyme and reason, right and wrong, at the end of the day.
0: That's right. And by the way, we're going back to Texas for the UFC for this Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena fight.
1: Texas huh? forever street, right? Clear yeah. eyes, full heart. Always I'm, lose. I'm, telling, Always you, I'm lose.
0: telling you, dude. I am I am very convinced that Jon Jones was only able to retain this title against Dominic Reyes by virtue of their primitive way of scoring. And who knows if that's going to rear its head again when we go back out there in a few weeks. All right. Point number two here, BC. Let's get to some UFC stuff if we can. Islam Makachev scores a fourth round submission win over Tiago Moises. I saw some debate about to what extent it was like dominant in the sense that, um, you know, did Moises get absolutely thrashed the whole time and just beaten up and was surviving for his life? We can have that conversation here in just a minute, BC. But the question I want to ask is this. How high should we be on Islam's stock as a future title contender? Based off of this performance,
1: uh, how high you got any rolling papers, Luke? That's how that's how high we should get. Pretty damn high. Uh, look, he, he, he's not Habib, he's a little bit different, but there's a lot of Habib systematic dominance built inside of Islam Mahachev that is just uh leaps through the screen. I mean, he is calculated. And deadly, Luke. And he is poised beyond friggin' belief. You know, what I liked about this was that Mo- Moises did have some sort of potentially scary moments. There, like when he took Mahatjev's back in round two. And, you know, there's some, like, little transitions there where you're like, oh, let's see what Islam can do here. And the way he responds to the potential of adversity is, is it, seriously, Luke, there's, like, a next-level poise and operation there. This is a guy that, like, belongs, knows he frickin' belongs And is ready to put on the cape of what we talked about leading into this fight, which is unfair to sort of just say he's the next Habib because he's Habib's boy and he got Habib in the corner. And it's, you know, a similarly dominant style of a guy from the same background and all that. His game's a little bit different, Luke, but I'm ready to embrace Uh, As long as we realize it's not Habib, I'm ready to embrace the idea that he's going to take what Habib did and sort of carry that flag and try to keep that going. And from that standpoint, Luke, he is methodical as all hell. It may not be exciting for everybody. You may be able to pick apart certain moments or whatever, but he is a force to be reckoned with right now, Luke, and I feel like he is only going to continue to figure this game out and find those Habib-led shortcuts. Habib seems to be a great coach, and obviously Habib had a mind that was just different for this game. It seems like Islam's picking up some of that secondhand smoke, so how high should we get, Luke? Um, uh, Check my THC levels, bro, okay? All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. Fill up the sink with water. Cut off the top of a of a of a water container. I mean, you know, get that I mean, whatever contraption you need, Luke. Let's get high, bro.
0: I'm I'm high on him, but not quite as high as you. At least not yet. I certainly I'm accept- stoned
1: immaculate, Luke. Yeah. on this guy. I, okay. I
0: certainly accept the possibility that uh, listen. This guy is obviously either going to be a champion or he's gonna fight for a title one day. I'd be very surprised if he's not like
1: real on that trip. real quick one day. It's coming, Luke. This guy's got it. He's got it, dude.
0: Yeah, yeah, hold on. But there are some meaningful differences from Habib that I think folks should take into account. On the good side, I think his stand-up is just much smoother. He has much better understanding of position and range. He's very calm in there, no matter the, the 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 on the ground or standing. But you know, you really can tell there's a certain fluidity to his stand up that Habib was a little bit more mechanical with. Okay, but there's a certain difference that uh, Makachev has relative to Habib that needs to be underscored, which is to say, dude, uh, Makachev doesn't have nearly as much offensive output. He has a lot of grappling control. That's true. He's firing an underhook. He's got a body lock. He's working for positional advancement. Fine but there's not a torrential ground and pound. He does tend to go to the back. You saw that a lot in this one. And he was very, very effective from there. But again, dude, he, he easily won this fight. This is not especially a difficult one to, to, to win for him. But I also at the same time, part of the reason habib was able to elicit some of the responses from his opponents that he was able to elicit was because he had torrential ground and pound because he was forcing them to turn their back he was forcing them to make bad choices part of the reason why this fight didn't get stopped even earlier it took him until the fourth round to do it which is not some like blemish on him i'm just saying is because he takes a lot of time to get to the places he's going to it sounds like it's a knock I'm just trying to say, there's just a lot of talk around this guy about Habib, and I understand that. Hell, Habib was in the corner. They come from the same part of the world. They have similar styles. By the way, you did see that we, we previewed it on Friday, talking about the clinch scenarios with a guy like Makachev. That proved to be quite true, and how strong he was in those positions. But at the same time, this is not the offensive juggernaut in that kind of way with strikes that a guy like uh, Nurmagomedov is. He's gonna be a little bit more yeah. patient, a little bit more methodical, and I still think he's capable, BC, of beating the very, very best. I think he will get to that point. But I i, I gotta say, not having that kind of ground and pound, not having that kind of almost hurried pace will result over time in some different outcomes along the way. That's all that I'm saying. Let,
1: let me let me give you a breathalyzer test and check my sobriety for a second. Just We're, we're closer than, than you realize. I may have presented it wrong. I say, you know, he's coming soon. Here, here's what I really mean and why I was so impressed. You're right. You sort of sobered us back down and we're like, uh, he's he's not going to be as dominant as Habib at, at his best. And, you know, it, it, he may be challenged more and tested. And certainly what I'm not trying to say is, look, when Hamzat Shemayev put those wins together, we had to quickly recalculate like, How soon? Could this guy be ready tomorrow? Like this guy's so good so early. We haven't of course we haven't seen him tested to see what his tangibles are and if there's a weakness there, but it was so overwhelmingly flashy and great that we were like shiny new toy. I got to find out right now how it is. That guy, I'd be more willing to roll the dice and say, let's get him into a title shot situation. I'm not saying Islav Makachev is ready tomorrow to win the lightweight championship or or that you should favor him against anybody in that absolutely loaded top five. What I'm saying, Luke, is I see the foundation and the structure that when you add the experience of each rung up the ladder, which he's going to have to prove it the hard way and climb these rungs up the ladder, I just think he's going to be ready for it. And again, even if that means he takes some shots here or is not as dominant with the opportunity here, I'm just seeing like a a rock solid guy where it's like, oh, he's got what it takes. Let, let's wait and see. He's going to get there. But this guy's got what it takes to get there, Luke. Um, yes, I think there's that's a lot very... to be impressed. Seriously, look yes. at the robot. From, there's a lot to be impressed here. This guy's ready.
0: Yes, I agree. He's a He is a player right now in that division at the very top. Just to point out, though, some of the things I was, I was mentioning earlier, if you look at the ground and pound numbers from Fight Metric, from Islam Makachev to Habib, Habib is literally more than two times per round, per minute, excuse me, than Makachev is. I mean, he's double the speed. And, dude, when someone is putting that kind of heat on you, it tends to produce certain responses. Although, the other, the flip side of that, BC, of course, is that if someone's just pouring that on you, there's a little bit less time for control. We know Habib had really good control, but maybe he could play with that a little bit where Makachev just seems like a much more, not much more, a somewhat subdued version of Habib. And I think if that's true, and again, he's got meaningful differences in other directions, but to the extent that he's a somewhat subdued version of him, then you're gonna get somewhat subdued results over time, probably. But I agree, he's the he has a complete game. He doesn't this is the thing that we gotta talk about too, BC. Dude, this guy takes almost no abuse. I mean, he is fresh as a daisy. He didn't have a mark on him when that fight was over. He found the back, he has good control, he has very good control. Once he gets there, he's got great takedowns, good timing, he's calm. I just want folks to know. There are some differences, and they will play themselves out. But so he would you is say a he's, beast.
1: Instead of, although he's going to get the rub of the next Habib and all that stuff we talked about, like the push, all the promotional push, the rub, the attention, all that, do you think he's more like a like like an RDA with better wrestling? I mean, do you think he's he's more angled to be a, like he can still get there, he still can fight for a title and potentially win it, but like don't expect that just full-on ridiculous Habib domination, technique, speed, finish mentality, all that on top of it.
0: He he reminds me it's a, you know this is a crude analogy BC but this is the best way I can explain it. Just imagine their ground games, not everything else, just the ground games. If Khabib is Kamaru, Islam is like Colby. Where Colby does not do torrential ground and pound. He has high volume striking on his feet, yes. But on the ground, go back to the Robbie Lawler fight. It's a lot of control positions without a lot of, in his case, submission threats. Although, this is the difference. Islam is a serious submission threat. I mean, that armbar he sat for was beautiful. Didn't have enough time to get it, but Jesus, that was really, really nice. Um, So that's a little bit of the difference to me, is that whereas Kamaru is just hammering you at all times when you're in a disadvantageous position, Colby is looking to maintain those positions through control. Islam's difference is that he is much more of a submission threat in that regard.
1: All right, all right, Luke. You know what I do like about what him. Look, this was a a, sort of a tryout for him in some ways. Main event role. Let's see where his stamina is past three rounds. Let's see a lot of things. And I think we both agree that he passed the test with flying colors. I mean, sure. I do to to the points we've been saying. Maybe think you know when he gets into that top five elite, it's more apt to. Outlast these guys and win division, you know decisions, and maybe potentially just dominate and finish them. We'll see how that plays out. But what I like with this win said, along with what it said about Mahachev, is what it's saying about I think the reloading in this lightweight division and how quick it's happening. I think that's important because Luke, you know, just a year ago, we were making claims like this is the deepest division in the sports history, and and it, it, the fights that came out of it are in t- insanely exciting, and there's so many more matchups that we want to see. And then Michael Chandler dropped in the middle, and it's like holy crap. But then we lost Habib, and then both Connor and Tony Ferguson kind of look like they're going in the wrong direction. So it was like, you know, is this division kind of falling apart right as it came together? No, dude. Between Brad Riddell, Islam, Armin Saryuki, and like we're starting to see that that turnover again, Luke, and it's pretty damn exciting.
0: No doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. And I think you know, what a good next fight for Makachev might be. The RDA fight, to me, seems to be the most sense. I don't know exactly where both competitors are for that. I don't know. He didn't like the Dan Hooker fight. I actually would have liked the Dan Hooker fight. I think it would have been kind of interesting to see, but he's not there. Do you have a, do you have a preference? If it's not RDA, who you want to see Makachev against next?
1: It's a great question, Luke. Uh, considering that he's, he's ranked, what, ninth right now?
0: Yeah, I'm looking it up. He is currently sitting at 9, Hooker at 8, RDA at 6.
1: You know, you could, although it's a step backwards, I think the guys right after him in the rankings, Gregor Gillespie and Kevin Lee, are both very interesting fights. Um, But you would like the RDA type from the standpoint of somebody who is more veteran but established to sort of give us a gauge of exactly where he is. Uh, I mean, him against Tony Ferguson, Luke?
0: (laughs) I got to tell you, you know who's sitting at number seven? is Conor McGregor. Dude, that's a terrible fight for McGregor.
1: Terrible fight. It's a terrible fight. Yeah, do you think that's a terrible fight for Tony, too? Pretty terrible, right?
0: Yeah, it's a bad fight for Tony, too. At this stage, and here's why for Conor. Dude, Conor can light anyone up on the feet. I really believe that. I truly believe that. Whatever happened in this fight with Dustin... It happened. But on the feet, I, I still think he is extremely formidable. And I think his power carries at 155. And I think he could hurt a lot of people for as long as the fight standard. But you're talking about a guy in Islam who is strong in the clinch, who hardly ever gets tagged on the feet. Yes, the Adriano Martins fight is one thing, but that's a long way in the past. He is so different from that now. And since then, the numbers prove he barely gets touched. And then you have that kind of command over control positions and you're that kind of a submission threat, especially from the back. Dude, that's a terrible fight. You can see why Ali Abdelaziz wants that fight for Makachev so badly because they won't make it, but obviously a guy like Makachev would, I, I think he would feast on this version I, of McGregor.
1: I found it, Luke. You know who the next opponent should be? Ally Akinta. Ray Janel. Give him Ray Janel. We'll find out a lot.
0: I, I, I don't mind that fight, but here's the problem for Makachev. He's sitting at nine. He might go up from here. He's looking for somebody ahead of him. The only names ahead of him are Poirier, Gaethje, that. Darius, Chandler, Ferguson, Dos Anjos, McGregor, and Hooker. That's it. You know, like I
1: know Paul Felder just retired, but like Paul Felder, if he was coming off a win in his late 30s, that'd be like the perfect guy if he was ranked right in the middle of the top 10. Totally. Like that's who we need. And I Quinta, even though he's coming off of two elite defeats, does sort of fit that mold.
0: He does. This is the rankings problem. It's just going to be hard for him to get a fight. All right, let's stay with this card, but go to a different part of it, namely the co-main event. Topic number three. All right, BC Misha Tate back in action. She wins her return to the cage. She gets a third-round sub over the now-retired Marion Renault. We knew, of course, Renault was going to retire heading into this fight. She said that was her last one. She's 44 years of age and teaches school. All right, BC, my question to you is as follows. Not even a question, really, a statement. A request, even. Give me a grade. What grade would you give Misha Tate's return to the octagon and why?
1: I think you have to weigh heavily the opponent, even though Renault's tough as heck, and she came in in great shape. She was a retiring 44-year-old fighter who had lost four in a row. But I think you have to flip that with also taking into account five freaking years out of the game, giving birth to two children, including one within a year ago, John Annick was saying on the air. I mean, like, it, everything about this screams hugely impressive. And then when you see, Luke, we talk about the shape she was in. When you see that shape weaponized and put into action in the fight it's like this is a completely new different fighter um i'm gonna give that all things considered luke an a-minus here this was great this was one of those sort of almost like feel-good things too you're like you know what damn right misha like score like you know you forget that she started the sport so early you forget she was only 29 when she retired the first time but there is a thing to being burnt out and I think more fighters could could gain a lot more if financially they were able at certain points to take long breaks. It doesn't always make sense, especially not financially in this game. But to be able to take the break she did to clear all of the, the grind and all of the whatever and get a new taste in her mouth, Luke, I mean, she's a she walked in like she's Shane Carwin, Luke. She is a physical specimen. She's a tank. And when you mix that with, you know, already great wrestling, grappling ability, athleticism. You know, her st- striking wasn't perfect here. I thought she took too many right hands. I thought, you know, there's a couple of things you can nitpick. But the fact that we went into the third round and she was the dominant force and seemed to have great stamina, she may be able to do some things here, Luke. I mean, we're going to have to see her against a different level opponent to really figure out where she's at. But let's never forget how Near, how shallow this division actually is women's bantamweight you know there it, it's it's not going to take her long to get to Nunes, whether it's for celebrity reasons or it's because she earned it she looked pretty damn awesome and you know shout out to misha uh I, she needs a new nickname cupcake's not working here luke she came in there like demolition man i mean this was some this was some like five years in the making dialed in ready shit going on and i and i salute her for that
0: Yeah, I'm going to give right around where you are. A B-plus or A-minus, I think, is very, very accurate. She looked great for the most part. I do think you picked up on the one thing that really kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies a little bit, which is she was taking a lot of right hands. There were some head movement issues as a consequence. Okay, fine. She did not have a perfect performance, And, and there are some things definitely to build on. Okay, but at the same time, one, here's what I thought. I thought if she wanted to make this a singular performance about... How fast could I get her out of there and do, take it to the ground? This fight could have been over earlier, right? There was a massive skill difference on the ground in favor of Misha Tate, and she looked dialed in. Her pressure on top was good. Her shoulder pressure, her good half guard retention. She just was doing a really good job on top of maintaining it, and then doing what she needed to do to, of course, um, pass position there when, when required. So I really thought, like, for her grappling game, a plus. It, it looked to me like there was absolutely no difference between what it used to be and what it is now. That was actually the better part. I also thought BC, and maybe it's just my imagination. I've I've, I've hosted several shows with Misha. I, I I don't we're not friends or anything, but I certainly know on a on a professional level. This might be the best physical condition I've ever seen her in. She looked no, to It's be- not
1: even might be Luke. This is almost like. Vitor Belfort, 2013. Should I be scared? (laughs) Like she's a freaking machine in there.
0: Dude, she, she, she has dialed in her training. And sometimes you see this man, like I remember my wife, when she wanted, my wife was very careful about how she ate when she was pregnant, obviously you're going to gain a little bit of weight along the way, but she was pretty careful about how she did it. And then she had a plan immediately on how to lose it all. And like the way in which she did it, the methodical approach to doing that is uh it, it actually enabled her to reach like fitness goals she never even reached before. So like I can sort of understand obviously Misha's a professional athlete, there's a much greater degree of difficulty. But I'm just pointing out like it looks like she she just never let herself go. She never let herself get too far out, so that when she wanted to get back to it, she could. And then she was able to build upon existing resources. The thing that for me that that, that needs to be worked out a little bit is I don't mind that I went to the third round again. I think she was I think she was in, uh, intentionally taking her time. I gotta say, dude, we haven't talked about this that much. The UFC gave Marion giving uh, t- uh, Misha Tate the Marion Renault fight. They don't do tune-up fights that well, but if we're going to live in a world where stars come and go for long periods of time, getting that first fight back the right way, dude, they nailed it with this one. They did a really good job with this one. And uh, I would just say the things to work on for Misha, it looked like to me, was head movement, setups, feints, striking defense, a little bit of lateral footwork, but everything else looked fucking dialed in man
1: yeah i want to ask you a, a key question about her future again taking into account that with her name she's more likely to get a big fight sooner than later also take into account it's not an overly dynamic division but the the, the people at the top the amanda Nuneses, holly holmes gdr maybe an aspen lad if she comes back next week and looks great they're 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 complete great fighter you know they're really good fighters great fighters um we see the potential holes in Misha's game. Now, she passed the test hugely from the standpoint of coming in great shape, great stamina, stick to her strengths, looked great. But, Luke, we know that the five years out of the game does not hurt you, does not help you from an evolution standpoint, from the standpoint of what we just said with head movement and certain things. We, we can assume that Misha's going to be a little bit behind. I mean, if she fought Jermaine Duran me tomorrow, I'm going to start thinking certain categories, she's, you know, I'm worried that she's behind the one intangible Misha has always had, Luke, is is not just a an ability to move up when the when the lights get brighter and sort of raise your game to that level, but like she's had like this dramatic flair. Do you remember when she beat Marlos Kunin for the Strike Force title? Mm-hmm. In a fight, she really had no business being that good that early in her career. She she had not have the same ground game as Kunin, yet she won that fight by dramatic third round, you know, late submission. She obviously did the same thing against Holly Holm, down on the scorecards, but just scrappy as all heck can that scrappiness at this age with this new body kind of be her lead muscle where, okay, she's going to be behind in certain categories here, but if she is going to come out and want it this badly, she does have that superpower to lean on, Luke, where no matter the situation, no matter whether she's in a, a less dominant position than she wants to be, she has a way of finding ways to make things happen.
0: She does. I think she's very very clever on the ground. She's got a good, you know, heavy top game when she needs it, but she can find the back as you mentioned with the first Holly Holm fight. By the way, I think the next uh, the rematch between them is exactly the fight to make. I love that fight because Holly Fucking beat her for most of that fight up until she just didn't when she was able to find that extra. You know, and I'll, listen, Misha's always been someone whose ground game has been better than their striking game. That's always been a case for her. But, you know, the thing I think about now is, dude, she seems ready. She seems motivated. I think, you know, working with Extreme Couture, they can get her to a, a, a pretty good level pretty quickly. The thing that stands out for me about this all BC is um, I if you can take – you know, I bring it up even though she lost the fight, but if you can take the Misha Tate scrappiness from the Kat Zingano fight, right? Where that that will to win and, you know, yes, Kat Zingano was pretty amazing that day, but dude, fucking Misha Tate was putting it on her too. Or the Misha Tate even from the Julie Kedzie fight, whichever one. And you can marry that with a more mature mindset now that she's a little bit older, a more dialed in, focused mindset. Kind of approach to training um i'm sure she was training hard before but even then she talked, talked about some of the difficulties and then you know getting a modern update to her striking game dude i think i think there's a real possibility you know could she beat amanda nunez you know I, I, misha tate told me when she got hit by amanda nunez it was the only time she's ever been hit by a woman and it felt like she was getting hit by a man okay let's 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 cross that bridge when we you know when it's relevant when we get to that's it. a
1: disturbing revelation yeah there, luke i hate that she said that. she that said it was shit, she yeah.
0: said she said when she got hit it was uh she, she felt like she was getting hit by a man it was that hard uh, I, that took me by surprise too when she said that okay put that off for just a second can misha take get back relatively speaking to the top of that division based on what i saw here i absolutely think that she can yes
1: Yeah, shout out to her right there. And you mentioned the the scrappiness. It's like, again, people still don't understand why I thought, even though Connor lost by injury in this third fight to Poirier and hurt his reputation, you know, personally, and there's been a lot of shit that came out of that, why did I overly praise just his scrappiness? Luke, sometimes when you're an older fighter, that willingness to go to the next level or go to a dark place, it, it, it leaves you sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, fighters get to that point where, like, age catches up with them, they don't have the same skills they used to, but... Can you dial in and figure out something deep? Why was someone like Muhammad Ali in the 70s when he was well past his prime still putting out those fights and those miracle finishes, Luke, because it was just a next-level scrappiness, willingness, hunger in him? That's something I hadn't seen in McGregor in a while. So to see that against Poirier, I liked it. I think Misha's got that. That could be her wild card factor as she continues to improve in a short window here and climb the ladder. It's going to be fun to watch, though. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, b- Good I business pl- development there.
0: No, absolutely. UFC has to be very happy with this. And again, dude, I give him all the credit in the world. Perfect opponent to come back to. The last thing I'd say of this is, dude, I mean, you go back to the Holly Holm fight. She was losing, you know, maybe I think she had a win in the second or third round when she got a takedown. But for the most part, I mean, right up until the very end, she was going to lose that fight until she wasn't. The, the ability to stay in a competitive mindset where you still think you can win and you're going to act in such a way where you think you can win uh, and in her case, making that come to life, not everyone has that. That's a very, very rare skill she has. So you could take that with this new physical tools that she appears to have and maturity and wisdom and Eric Nixick and everything. Dude, she's she could be a handful. She could be a real can handful. Can
1: people wake up and realize that that first Tate home fight should be considered as like a top five best fight of all time in the ufc and for some reason never gets the love luke it doesn't it deserves because it's
0: it's like one-sided then one-sided then one-sided it's a little weird that's why
1: absolutely it's 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 odd because of that you did nail the part that maybe keeps it off some people's list but in just straight drama and feeling and purpose and just i mean that was one of the largest noises from a crowd that i was ever in person for i mean it was insane
0: all right, let's go talk about Bellator now, if we can. So, Juliana Velasquez, your women's flyweight champion over on the Bellator side of things. She beats Denise Kilholts, but oof, it was close. She wins via split decision. It was 48-47 in either direction. BC, we both thought that Velasquez was going to win, but I think we also both thought it was going to be by a much wider margin than it was. What did you learn about Velasquez by virtue of this result?
1: I mean, I, I kind of learned from Velasquez what I already knew. I don't think this performance improved on what I knew about Velasquez, although it was a gritty, tough win against somebody who realized they had a legitimate chance to win this and gave, you know, everything they had. And Kehoe was who's who made this fight so dramatic and really fun, even though it was very technical at times. There was sort of this drama lingering around it. I learned that, you know, what you need to learn from a champion in their first title defense, that they can dig in deep and figure out how to win this, Velasquez did. I almost took away because Kiel Holtz impressed me so much by overcoming the reach and height disadvantage uh, by, you know, by being so scrappy and being quick was that one thing I'd said in the lead up to this, I think she needed to create a little chaos to have a legitimate chance to win because Velasquez is so great when she's in control from the outside and could just play that, that, that counter game all day because she hits hard and she's accurate When Kielholtz was able to let her hands go more and make this more into a fight, she had better chances of getting inside and trading and landing something big. Now, she also had to pay a price, and that's why her face was banged up. But, Luke, I gave her the first round and I gave her the fifth round, both based on her pressure, both based on her ability to figure out how to land that right hand. I just wonder if she took more chances and was willing to maybe risk getting knocked out. If she could have won this fight, Luke, and I know there were some people that thought she had won, Josh Thompson included, and it was that close of a fight, yes, because even though Velasquez was steady, she wasn't overly uh, demonstrative in showing you that I've, you know, I, this is my round, right? She sort of mm. edged a couple rounds. I wonder if Keelholz might kick herself and say, you know, I, I came close, but I may have been able to get over that hill.
0: Yeah, so for me, this is what I was talking about with judging controversies. If you're going to be mad about a judging controversy, wait for a scorecard that makes no sense. So, for example, if somebody had had a 50-45 for Velasquez, you'd have been like, I don't even understand how that's possible, right? That's one thing. But 48-47, while I can understand a disagreement about it, absolutely – it's not crazy it's not it's a hard fight to score that's the other part you got to wait for fights that are a little bit easier to score this fight was not easy to score couple rounds easier to score than others fair enough but some of them are really kind of tight in the middle and so i can understand why people might be upset with the result but i don't think this is a robbery for those reasons now as it relates to Velasquez, BC, I scored this fight 48-47 for her under the 10-point must system. I scored it for Kielholz under Pride and One Rules, where you sort of judge as a whole. To me, she did a lot more volume. I think she probably she wore damage worse. I think Velasquez wears damage better. But I wonder if, in actuality, that doesn't tell the full story. And I certainly thought she was putting in a much better effort with much better... I thought even she took more risks than Velasquez to try and get the win. But I'll say this about Velasquez... I thought that on the good side, her jab was great, her poise. She gave away the first round. I don't even think she tried to win the first round. So she was spotting Kielholz around as a consequence. She had to win the next four basically to get it done. Um, So her calmness, her jab, her check hooking, her ability to stay composed throughout the course of a fight. These are things that are going to keep her champion for a while. On the other hand, the fact that Kielholz was able to make it as close as she was. I mean, listen, Velasquez is not doing any fainting not really get trying for a couple of takedowns, not really able to get a whole lot with him. I was impressed by some of the things that Velasquez showed me, but I got to tell you, I don't know exactly how long she's going to hold that belt because there are some other parts to her game that are not nearly as advanced in ways that it should be for someone who wants to hold a title for a long time. So,
1: like, she did what she had to do to win it, and that's r- remarkable, but I hear you. Does she have a complete plus game in every category where she could prevent a leak from happening. I'm not sure. Luke, the one thing I took away from Kielholtz that that I was a tad bit disappointed in is I felt there was going to be an opening for her to take the fight to the ground. She has a sneaky good uh, submission game, but I don't think Velasquez's takedown defense is all that elite. I've seen other fighters get somewhat surprisingly easy takedowns for her at at key times by disguising the shoe and sort of taking advantage. I feel like Kielholtz should have at least tried, Luke, one, two attempts per round even, to not try any takedown uh, attempts at all, I feel like there was an avenue there where she could have swayed the judges in her favor to maybe secure this fight, and that would have been a great test of whether Velasquez could have been stingy in that area too. But Velasquez put up the right amount of defense and leaned on her her strengths, and she got the job done. I think the better news for Scott Coker and company is this division's fun, Luke. I mean, between the fact that Kielts came this close but couldn't get it done, Alimaleh McFarlane, who was on that announce desk, is certainly aiming to get back in there and get a rematch. And then you have who's probably next and who deserves to be next, is uh, Liz Carmouche who really raised her game and excitement quotient like ex- extensively by being that willing to go after Watanabe in that last fight and get her out of there. Uh, this is going to be interesting with Carmouche getting a title shot if she's willing to be this offensive against Velasquez. Luke, do you feel like Gorilla could have watched this main event against Kielholz and kind of saw some avenues where she may be able to take advantage?
0: Maybe. I have a feeling that fight's going to suck. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just being jaundiced at this point, but, like, Yes, you're right. The carmouche we saw last time—I mean, let's get all, let's get plenty of that. That was tremendous. Just go and in Liz there and can take her
1: down, Luke. Liz can 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 wrestle.
0: She can, she can. It's absolutely true. But one thing I'll say is Velasquez is huge for this weight class. She is big. Number one. Number two. I think she might be able to match uh, and strength, at least like functional strength in certain positions. And the other part is like you know we saw Velasquez. Listen, you're a champion. You got to do what you got to do to win. But against Carmouche, who has shown, you know, sometimes an unwillingness at range to engage with competent strikers, you know, I'm not saying it'll be bad. I don't know what it'll be like. But do I at least well, think is a, take a chances. decent... Yes. Do I think Karmouche a is is decent... willing
1: to take those chances, there's a chance. Well,
0: she has been at times, and she hasn't been. So, like, if, this is what I'll say. If Karmouche is willing to, like, lay it on the line, the fight will be great. If she's not, I actually, will think it'll be not be great, and I don't think she'll be able to win. She has got to really go in there and just grab the fight by the scruff of the neck, so to speak.
1: Here's the difference, though: when she dis- when she chose when Carmouche chose not to take chances against Shevchenko in the rematch for the title, it was because Luke maybe if she did, she was going to turn into Jessica, right? Against Velasquez, I think there's more potential for Carmouche to get dinged up over five rounds with some hard left crosses, but not the same potential for a straight-up knockout loss. So I think there is an avenue. Should Karmoush be unafraid of taking damage to really make that a fight? I think it'd be a fun matchup. And, Luke, I wonder what Alima Le is working on in the laboratory to come back because when she gets a second chance at this belt, I bet you she's going to go after it. It should be fun.
0: Just one note, it wasn't only the Shevchenko fight where she had a sort of a really boring, tepid affair. The Vanessa Porto fight from Bellator 256, almost the exact same thing. So she's sort of a propensity of late to do this a little bit. It was just in the last one. She just walked down Watanabe and then blitzed her out of there. It's like you know what Carmouche is capable of when she wants to execute in a certain way. The question is, what is Velasquez going to allow? What is she going to try? And so I would have some managed expectations for the excitement of that one, but... It looks like it's we're probably going to get in one way or the other. So there you have it. Uh, okay, last but not least, BC, there's a lot going on this weekend where well, I'm sure we've skipped over. Any other combat athlete that you think stood out this weekend for topic number five? Who do you think? Boxing, yeah, or a,
1: a few of them. Let me hit it with one boxing first. Luke, that opener and that triple header went such a long way for Showtime in turning in just a, a slam dunk three fights here, which really I thought, with the exception of that scorecard that, that I harped on earlier, this was a great night for boxing that elevated the sport. And in the big part of that was Emil Car the unbeaten Uruguayan slugger there at middleweight. Went in there against that that just toughest balls out, Emmanuel Aleem. And look, it was Aleem's willingness to make that an absolute war and step in there against the bigger puncher and go for it. Dude, this fight was awesome. Yeah, it It'll was be good. the kind of fight that'll fall just short of like being in contention for fight of the year, but is one of those where you're like, holy shit, both guys left it all in the ring and went after it. This is the exact type of test that somebody like uh Vidal should have to pass to prove to us that he's legitimate and not just, you know, 12 and 0 with 11 KOs coming in against cab drivers. And for Aleem, Luke, there's a story of this guy's career, man. You know what I mean? It's I like the fights. So- I he thought he sh- won. I thought he won. I agree with you. I thought he won, although not a. You know, not any kind of controversy that he didn't. It was a close fight, but Luke, when he's supposed to step up and look great, he underwhelms. And in the in the fights where you're like assured that uh, that Aleem is the B side, he tends to overperform and lose in this type of heartbreaking style where you're like, man. Aleem almost deserved better. He was that close to, you know, maybe he should have won that, but it goes down as either a draw in a lot of cases for him or, in this case, a close loss. Uh, Shout-out to both these guys, Luke, for absolutely bringing it.
0: No doubt about it. Uh, you have another one you wanted to go to, or is that the only one?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't want to ignore the UFC card. I just had to wait until this morning to catch up on it and watch it. But, Luke, you know, I came in... For, uh, sort of phrasing that lightweight duel between Gamrot and Jeremy Stevens as sort of, you know, Jeremy Stevens is going to have to do something big to make another recharge to not fall into that dangerous territory. Dude, should we put res- respect on Matus Gamrot's name moving forward? Because that was alarmingly easy, what he did, to take down Stevens and then submit him like, like that, Luke.
0: Let me explain something to you, buddies. If you're stepping over somebody's head for a Kamora, <laughs> That's the that's the close of the show, folks. Cause you can do Kimoras without them. You actually don't need them. But if you can step over and secure it and you know what you're doing with your balance, you're gonna rip that arm right out of the socket. It is bad news when that happened. As soon as he did that, I was like, all he has to do is free this hand, which is a little bit harder to do than you might imagine, but it can be done, and obviously he did it. Dude, that is a nasty, nasty Kimura. Look at it, look at him. Hold the hold the slide there. Look at it. His weight is down, and the and you can see. Gamrot is leaning behind and then backwards into a circular fashion to get that submission. Dude, that is vicious. He was going to break that thing if uh, Stevens didn't tap immediately. That, and he got it like that, lightning quick.
1: So I want to wake myself up to everything feather or lightweight. Uh, well, this is a lightweight bout, but look, this guy's a featherweight, right? Gamrot?
0: No, well, no, no. So Jeremy Stevens went from featherweight and moved back to lightweight for this. So he's, this was a gotcha. lightweight fight.
1: Uh, hey, look, another young lightweight to note to take notice of because I think this was a head turner at the ease of it. Um, and then, Luke, can I shout out Billy Q, our guy, Billy Quarantillo? Yes.
0: One quick note, BC. We always talk about how all these guys are coming out of Georgia and Dagestan and blah, blah, blah. Hey, Poland. Poland produces a lot of really good fighters. Here's another one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to shout out Billy Q, Luke, because he's a fun fighter. And, you know, he had to walk through hell at at certain points, but for the most part, he gave us, you know, three rounds of of smashing dominance before the finish against Gabriel Benitez. I mean, is it time to look at Billy Q as a player or is he still just a young fighter figuring things out, but he makes really fun fights?
0: That's one of those fights where it's like you think to yourself, man, I'm not sure how to say this exactly. Like, you always know there's a risk of fighting where you could lose a tooth or you can get knocked out or blah, blah, blah. And then there are those fights where you go in there and it looks like someone ran over your face with a lawnmower. And that <laughs> poor Benitez, dude, I mean, he, I'll give Benitez credit, dude. That guy is fucking tough, 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 tough guy. And obviously, he, you know, he can do offensive work on his own. But Billy Q had this attitude like, if I don't win this fight, I'm going to hang it up. Of course, he never said that. I'm just sort of saying it felt that way. He was just marching Benitez down, damaging punches the whole way through and then never letting his foot off the gas dude that was a nightmare for a guy like benitez now where it goes for billy qbc i'd be curious to hear what you have to say i don't really know i haven't thought much about it but that was a fucking performance for, i mean dude to stop a fight where you have back control and you're just punching the guy and the referee has to intervene for mercy for the guy who has his back taken and there's no submission threat there wow dude that is i'll put unusual. a pin in
1: this because we'll see some, of, we'll see video proof of some of these on. Have you seen this shit later? But yeah, look at the very least, man. Our guy Billy Q comes <laughs> comes to win and make make some uh, excitement happen. So that was great to see, Luke. Who shined for you though this weekend that that isn't getting the, the the love in this show up to this point?
0: I'll say for me, he did not have a perfect performance by any stretch of the imagination, but he did have one that I thought he needed. I'm going to go with Hadalfo Vieira. You guys know I love the BJJ crossover guys into MMA, and Hadalfo is basically about as decorated as you're going to get he's won every title you could win in the gi at the black belt world level he's won every title you could win without the gi at the black belt world level and he had a good run through mma but obviously in his fight before this one against alexander i think it was alexander anthony hernandez excuse me he had a really rough run of it he gassed he looked like shit he got submitted which is just you know a bad thing and i disagreed with michael bispin i love michael Bisping, but i disagree with him that like the the going to the sports psychologist was some kind of a red flag or, or or whatever i actually think he this is the guy who needs it and he had a bit of a rough start early bc oh not rough he had a mixed start i would say he, he had good jab he was calm but you know taking a little bit of damage here or there but by the third round man he said fuck this and when that guy wants to find your back Good luck stopping it. He found it like Batman, you know, uh, just at the top of a roof. You couldn't believe the ease and speed and quietness with which he got into it. And then once, of course, he got the choke. I mean, it was it was all over. That was the kind of win he needed where he could prove he could take his time. He, yes, obviously he used his ground game, so to speak, to win it. But he showed significant improvement in the stand-up, and there are plenty of things to work on. This was hardly perfect, B.C., but I think he was Look, finally. He even said it. He was finally calm. He felt like he belonged. He wasn't nervous, and I think the results in general spoke to that.
1: Yeah, he needed this, Luke. Because when you have the type of loss he had against Hernandez, that's like a scarlet letter that could follow you around if you don't. If you don't remove that demon from your past, Luke. And this guy's built like a uh, a brick shithouse, house, as they used to say in my in my factory town, Luke. Uh, good lord, this guy's body is a wonderland. I like specialists in the modern game. They're fun to watch in this regard, but. Uh, You know, good to see him uh, back
0: where he needs to be, Luke. Do you like his striking? Do you think he could could really work on that? I thought his jab was pretty good. I thought his jab was pretty good, you know? I mean, this is what you want to be when you're... You know, it's what you want to be when you have this kind of a ground game. You don't ever want to forget it. You want to make sure it's there uh, whenever you need it. But you gotta have these other pieces that allow the fight to breathe in a way where you can compete in those conditions, you know, obviously with the exception if you have another specialist in the front of you, notwithstanding. And I thought I, I thought that there's a lot to work on, BC, but I thought he took a real big step to getting to that place. He's not there. But this was what this was the pivot he needed to make the appropriate journey. It was the first time I thought he can do more than just work from the back. He can do more than just wrestle and do submissions. He's still going to have that be the major dominant part of his game. But now he's got some other pieces too.
1: Luke, I'm, I've been. Um, you mentioned Bisping. He's not always perfect. I don't always agree with everything, which which really shouldn't be a, a prerequisite, I think, to liking somebody. I, I like to be challenged, but I think he's growing on me leaps and bounds. That I, it, like, I know DC's sort of the guy at the moment that they pair as the third man with Anakin Rogan and that trio. By the way, I think is fantastic, even if they sometimes get into like a like they're watching a, a you know they're watching back with watching in the Rogan's podcast studio, and not you know by the cage. I don't tend to mind that a lot, but Bisping's growing on me, where I'd kind of like to see him more in that. Third spot with Rogan and Anik, or even you know, with with DC and Anik more.
0: I agree. I told Michael in person that I I always thought his commentary was was good for sure, but in the last like nine months or so, so, or six months, maybe I I don't know exactly what the time frame is. He's really taken another step up to commentary level, but because he's engaging, you, you could tell he's all in on the fight. He's excited. And the level of detail, that used to be, I think, one of his weaknesses. Not that he didn't know it, but he wouldn't share that information as readily. Now you can see he's homing in on the key details and telling folks. "There's, Dude, there's." it's always bad if I'm watching an MMA fight and I'm picking up on details that the commentators are not. That tells you that the commentators are probably not that great. That's because I'm not good, and if I'm seeing it, they should see it. You tend you to text
1: me a lot when th- when this happens in real life.
0: Yeah, you, you don't see a lot of that with... Uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever texted you when Michael Bisping's commentating for something like that because no, again, in, people uh, pe- people miss I stuff, think- but he gets the details.
1: And he adds, like, a, a wild card plus one on post-fight interviews, too. I think he does. I think there's, like, a part of him, whether it's the comedy or, the, or sometimes he gets really serious uh, when he needs to be, I, I think he's very good at that role. So great to see. I do love Dom Cruz. Love me some Paul Felder. But uh, Bisping making moves, Luke. So good to see. You.
0: All right. Well, instead of you and I asking each other questions, it's time now for the audience to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from dogs.
1: Hey, haw Hey, All
0: right, here we go. Well, this is an actual question that I did leave in the uh, in the chat or the comments, so they're gonna ask it here from me. BC, oh, why hey. is Luke smiling like a fucking idiot in this picture? Can we show the picture or not? Does it make sense? Did you? Yeah, dude, look at this smile. It that looks like I just farted in the library and people vomited because well, uh, it was I, so so. Can gross. I say
1: something about that photo shoot? Which is. Some of these are hilarious and I love how our team's been using them to market our new merch. Mm. Although we were both fat in those pictures. Um, my wife's, you know, I-, I love her. She's she'll she'll tell me what she feels. She's critical of anything. She needs to be in that moment. She'll you know, I'm not a star in this house, Luke. Um, she she hates this photo shoot because she thinks all of these make us look like a married couple. Every single one of them.
0: Yeah, dude, we're definitely a gay couple. I mean, there's no.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, like she's like, that's the. Only, she won't even say like, oh, you look fat, or hey, that's a cool shirt. Every single one she sees, she's like, what is this? Like, are are yeah. you and Luke? She's you know, like you and Luke are at, banging, at and
0: that's the end of it. Yeah.
1: So uh you know, that's fine. Look, it's twenty twenty one. If you wanna spoon me in a picture, that's great, okay? Did we go ass to ass in this picture? I can't comment publicly
0: on that, so you know. BC, wanna bang? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Tooie. Yo,
1: Tooie, you wanna bang Yeah, Luke, why are you smiling like an asshole in this pic, Luke? Why? I don't
0: I do. I I look like I don't even know, like I just finished touching myself at the bus stop and no one noticed or they kind of did and I'm gleeful about it. I mean, this is the worst picture ever. So I'm glad they used yeah. it. All right.
1: Uh, Manich, our producer, just reminded me that I did get on a knee at some point in this photo shoot. So, uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's yeah dude. That, it was, I, needed an, I needed an adult chaperone for that, for that photo <laughs> shoot. It was not comfortable. Can I, can I say that out loud? Uh, our director was very in, in on the
1: idea that you and I get very close to each other and touch. It was like we had to stop and go, like, is this guy trying to get it? Is he trying to facilitate, you know, man love here? Like, what is happening?
0: Yeah, and I was like, dude, we're not fucking. I mean, I know you want us to, it, and that's cool if you want to do that, but I, I'm not banging BC. It's not going to happen, okay? Uh, not not without money. All right. Let's go to at Greg Leach 99. Not with that
1: haircut, at least. Yeah, all right. <laughs>
0: not with that. BC's like, you think I'm going to fuck you with that smile, Luke? No chance. <laughs> all right. From Greg Leach 99. Has Luke watched the Four Kings docuseries yet? I've seen part of it. If yeah, yes, look, there's which,
1: a lot of good shit on Showtime app that you won't watch. What the hell? No, it's not, you not, it's not. It's
0: not even about. You know, no, 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 I, I have. Do please, please don't misunderstand me. The last month in my life has been a little bit difficult. You know about this because I texted you about it. My kid had to go to the ER and it was a whole fucking thing. And then my pet and died. R.I.P.
1: Booger. Look, R.I.P. Booger. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. My, my 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 awesome cat died, which you know has been kind of devastating here in the house and. Absolutely. It's just been a weird. So I lost track of this a little bit, but yes, I want to 100% get back on track. And to your point, BC, we had this very conversation with Ben Folks in Vegas. You open up that Showtime app, man, and there is a fucking Wonderland of content. Have you finished the entire series?
1: Yeah. Oh, I watched this in 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 like a two day span on the road when uh, when the great Showtime PR folks gave me that early stream. This thing is fan freaking taxes. You know the same way that. That Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary just took a subject which we already know we'd love, how can you get it wrong and just elevated it to another level? I mean seriously, that that doc, that Jordan docu series was insanely great. This has that same feel in its own way, Luke, the way the director uh, tied it tied in the politics and the of the current events of the of the time frame in the early 80s with the fights and the nationalities of the fighters, it it was brilliant. And then Luke just to, just alone to just revisit these fights Remember these these great four fighters fought each other 9 times total mm. in a 10 year span just to revisit cuz although we know we all know like you know the 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 war hagler hearns we all know uh Leonard Hagler we all know a lot of these sometimes you for, uh, forget about like the Leonard Hearns rematch, the one that was a draw that, that Tommy Hearns kind of got robbed, which was a great fight between them when they were kind of getting washy. And we forget some of these other chapters and certainly the stories behind them. This was brilliant. Uh, our Showtime friends like Al Bernstein and Steve Farhood were great on it. But Teddy Atlas was on this. And look, he's like the soundtrack to this. That He was fantastic as a talking head in this one.
0: That's crazy. Nine times in ten years is Dude, I mean dude like, like wait, we're just
1: trying to get Spence and Crawford to fight once. We're trying to get, know. you know, Ryan Garcia know. and all these other young lightweights to fight nine times in 10 years and Luke each of the fights were like record breaking pay-per-view buys, record breaking purses like these were stop traffic events in the sporting world and sometimes beyond the sporting world. Like the reminder of how good not that long ago, but you know, how great when boxing was still frickin' front page news, not just twice a year for Mayweather or Canelo, like, you know, every couple months. I mean, damn, Luke, if we... Now, I grew up in that, so that's what made me the foundations of me as a fan, and I and I, I, I thank the lucky stars that I did grow up in that, but imagine if we could have that right now, Luke. Imagine if we could have that shit right now, steak for dinner every night, livers are, are safe and happy and healthy. I mean, come on, bro. I know,
0: come on. I know. Uh, all right, from Alan, e. Alan E.K., Alan Eck, however you want to pronounce it. Who would you say faced a higher level of competition in the first 10 UFC fights, Habib or Islam? So let me read you, BC, what you think. Yeah, here are Islam's the- Here are Islam's first, for the audience's sake as well. Leo Kuntz, this is, this is, uh, this is for Islam Makachev. Leo Kuntz, Adriano Martins, where he got KO'd, Chris Wade, Nick Lance, Gleason Tebow, Cajun Johnson, and then it picks up a big level. Armin Saryukian, who I think is also a future title contender, Davi Hamosh, Drew Dober, and then Tiago Moises. For Habib, his first 10 would be Kamal Shalarus, uh, Gleason Tebow, Tiago Tavares, Abel Trujillo, Pat Healy, Rafael Dos Anjos, Daryl Horcher, Michael Johnson, Edson Barboza, Al Iaquinta. I'm going to go with Habib.
1: I got to go with Habib, and that that trail end of that was was great. And then people also forget, people forget the RDA fight for some reason. When, when Habib, before the knee injury, beat the bags off RDA, just beat yep. the living shit out of RDA, and that was before that. I mean, dude, okay, for, for all the lament we can have about Habib retiring right when he figured out how to be pound-for-pound pound best and brilliant, and for the fact that the injuries and the Ferguson saga, like, we didn't get to see Habib against everybody we wanted. Everyone realizes that.
0: This guy had a
1: two-year knee injury that could have completely changed the direction of his career. And he came back after two years and he was freaking better, Luke. Like, it's really... Fine wine, fine wine, Luke. I mean, when I say that, I mean we know how great Habib is right now, but his legacy is just going to continue to blow up like a balloon the more we look back on this and the more we let it sink in. This guy's fucking amazing, Luke. So yes, his 10 or better and it gave him more experience that he needed and all that. But that don't mean Islam isn't coming, Luke. And if you're going to yeah. come, Mahachev, come on, bro. Come on,
0: okay? No, no. Islam is a beast. It's kind of funny. Both Khabib and Islam had rough route, rough outs in their second UFC fights. So against Kamal Shalarus, folks forget this, he won that via rear naked choke, but he actually rocked Shalarus, I think, with a head kick on the feet and then took his back and then subbed him out. And it was the gleason Tebow fight afterwards where he, law, or he won, but it was you know a little bit dicey. Same for, for Makachev, he beats Leo Kuntz in his debut and then gets head kick KO'd against Adriano Martins. I'll say this for Makachev BC, his last four fights, Armin Saryukin, who again, I think is a future title contender, Davi Hamosh, who won ADCC with a flying armbar against someone from Sitting Guard, Drew Dober massively improved and he subbed him, Tiago Moises, you know, I don't think is on the level, but still a very good fighter and he subbed him out too. Dude, Islam Makachev is coming, bro. He's coming big time, and and uh, these 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 lightweights better be on their on their game.
1: <laughs> Looks like Makachev's coming big time, bro. Somebody needs to clean this up.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, all right. From Khaled, uh, but I, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, and I've actually DM'd with this gentleman back and forth. So please forgive me, Khaled, if I mispronounce your last name. Khaled uh, Bedoun. What I'm going to say. Besides, his ab- is that who this?
1: Is?
0: Yeah, he's, he's verified by the way he, he writes for um, I know he's done some work on well, a bunch of places but he wrote a uh, Mayweather Paul feature for the undefeated in ESPN uh, besides his he's a professor as well besides his obvious skill and promise what role does filling the Habib void in the Middle Eastern market play in the UFC's pushing of Islam makachev here's what I'll say about this obviously it's good to have a highly successful, Um, Muslim athlete, like even in soccer, when you've seen um, the guy out of Egypt, um, Mo Salah plays for Liverpool, you know, it's a huge deal when you have a celebrated international Muslim figure for the Muslim world, not just the Middle East, but other parts as well. On the other hand, though, BC, here's one thing that gets lost. Even with the language barrier, Habib's a little bit more entertaining (laughs) as a person. Like Islam is a little bit on the boring side, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's more John Fitch in in, uh, in Mahachev than there is uh the Habib fluffy hat and the, you know, uh send me location, please, you know, I'll smash your boy, all that great stuff. But uh, you know, he can still he can still add to it, Luke, as we build. But I think it's it's massive for the UFC because let's not like underplay is that the word? Underplay? Under underplay. Let's yeah. not underplay Luke, um, how big Habib's star did rise. You know, he got the McGregor rub. They had one of the, they had probably the, the he, most heated rivalry, you know, this side of Jones Cormier that we'd ever seen at this level. And then Habib became a legitimate A, A, uh, top billing, A-side, legitimate pay-per-view star and then walked away as soon as he became that. They do need to fill somebody there. And whether it ends up being Trumayev, whether it ends up being Mahachev, whether... whether Good, I'm, I'm still hoping beat can figure this out, health-wise, Luke, and get back into this. Mm. Um, there's going to be a, an opening there. Once you activate a certain fan segment that wasn't diehard before, you do need somebody to keep carrying that flag up the mountain. So I think that's why it's a, it's a great spot for these guys because they're going to get every opportunity to be great and get the type of push from the standpoint of like placement in main events and these fight nights, you know, this type of thing to be great and to, and to do that. So it's going to be up to which one of them can grab the baton and, and stand out in their own way, whether that's through a little bit through commercially, although let's be honest, Luke, a lot of these guys have a very quiet militant persona, almost maybe sometimes that's the translation it's lost in there, or maybe it's just their natural makeup to be hard-nosed grinders. And Luke, coming from my factory background, even though I may have not have the same self-discipline as these guys, you know, I get it, Luke. Okay,
0: I get it. I just it. think that, like, I was there at UFC 205 when Habib fought um, Michael Johnson. And then went backstage and was like, you know, this is number one bullshit. And then got on the, actually got on the microphone after he won and was like, you know, Ireland has, what was it? Three or five or whatever million people. Russia has 100 million. Send me your Irish chicken. Like, Makachev's not that dude. There's a certain level of like swag, so to speak, even with the language barrier that a guy like Habib has that Makachev hasn't shown to this point.
1: He did say afterwards in the, in some of the interviews, like I'll smash everybody. They say, who do you want next? Makachev? He's like, I'll smash anyone. Bring them right now. Like, I love that sort of attitude, of course, but I get it. Habib had a charm that I think has been That's underrated, right. that he doesn't always get the credit for, that really was, you know, Madison Avenue. They really could have done like, could you imagine? And Habib's not dead, first of all. And he's still got a very public role now, transitioning to the coaching. And by the way, it warmed my heart to see coaches Cam on Habib and him celebrate. Like, you know, I love hearing him in the corner. I love all of that. But he almost had this, like, marketability. Like, I could have imagined Habib, had he still fought, and let's say he fought McGregor again, and he just became a bigger crossover star. Him doing, like, commercials for shit, Luke. Like, seriously, like, he's got that fun sort of, like, you know, goofball, almost triple G goofball type of thing going on where it's like, it, it, this guy's great. Um, so I hope somebody well, BC, can pick let that Let me up, ask
0: like. you, in terms of public personality and how jovial and, and whatnot, is there anything to the comparison again forget the games just like their personalities and how social they are between what floyd is to tank davis and what habib is to islam makachev
1: that's a great call that's a great call because certainly UFC and these fighters are benefiting already from these guys being considered Habib's boys. There's no question. And yes, that is the same way as when Floyd did this for Gervonta, when he used to do this for Badu Jack or even Errol Spence. Floyd was, even though Floyd doesn't directly promote Errol Spence from the beginning, he's been putting his arms around him after fights and saying like, this is the guy. Yeah, that matters. That gives you an extra stamp of credibility. So, Habib's playing a very key role here. Did you see Dana the other day? Luca came out that he sat down with Habib once more and tried to give him an <laughs> no. offer he couldn't refuse, and Habib <laughs> refused it again. Man,
0: right? Yeah, right. Good. Good thing he left us on pins and needles on that time where it's like, "What's Habib's decision?" Okay. Yeah. All right. Neither here nor there. One more of these. BBC uh, from from Nick Lausanne? Like, is this one of the Lausanne brothers that I'm not aware of? I know Joe and Dan. Um,
1: is this like the black think- sheep of the? Yeah
0: maybe do you think dustin poirier deserves more respect than he is getting slash has gotten considering he has beaten a former ufc bellator or wec champ in six of his last eight fights bc
1: yeah we're not we don't deserve dustin poirier in just about every category seriously like uh, what we talked about just in the past week his response just personally as a man to all that shit connor was doing whether i like some of that raw dirty shit from connor or not I mean, good God, like, Dustin Poirier is like the poster boy. Like, he's the Jerry West logo right now. He is like, all America do right. You know what I mean? Yes, he does not deserve anything bad said about him. And he is not, because he doesn't have the same personality as Connor, and because Connor dominates the storylines in their last two fights, we haven't even properly given Dustin credit for his ability, for his resume, for his just being a great, guy with the charity and all that we, we throw it in there like sprinkling loop but we don't make it the lead story why because you know people the rare the rare freaks like mcgregor tend to dominate the storylines for all the right reasons but um what poirier is doing resume wise without having even won the full championship that's why i said coming into this last fight like had he come out there and just dominantly you know destroyed a healthy connor it's like he may already be the second greatest lightweight in history, and he's never won the belt, Luke. Like, his resume, the last, really, what is he now? 12 and 2 since the first loss to McGregor, since moving back up to lightweight. He's 12 and 2, and with the names he's beaten, like, holy freaking crap. Like, he should have been champion with, you know, four or five title defenses. It just so happened he shared this era with Habib. No harm done. He lost to Habib. But he's done everything else perfect, Luke.
0: It's funny. I did some radio following uh, some sports radio stations here and uh, following the fight with McGregor. And I remember the guys were asking me like, oh, well, Poirier is obviously better than McGregor. And, you know, there's a debate to be had about that, certainly. But they didn't seem to understand how good he was. And I was trying to explain to them on like, whenever I go in these like, you know, places that don't really talk MMA, I always try to give them analogies they can understand. I don't know if this one works either, but if you just imagine that, like, okay, Poirier has those two losses one was Michael Johnson and one was um, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. The Johnson one is, yes, it counts, it's legit, but you wouldn't pick Johnson to win in a rematch. You would definitely pick Habib to win in a rematch. And so I was trying to explain to them it's like, okay, if Habib is, you know, something like Tom Brady. That doesn't mean every other quarterback after him is some shit. It's like, dude, Poirier is like an Aaron Rodgers, man. Like, he's a fucking really good, really, really, really crazy high-level fighter. So for McGregor to—I was trying to explain, like, for McGregor to lose to that guy, okay, McGregor's not the best in the division anymore, but he's—you're not losing to some chump, man. You're losing to a guy who's exceedingly talented. But I do think, BC, that as long as Poirier doesn't win the weight class belt— we're going to deal with this. Conversely, I think if he does win the weight class belt, all the things that we're talking about are going to synthesize finally into like a, you know, a crystallizing moment where everybody understands what this guy is made of, but we're not there yet.
1: Yeah, let's do that. And, and, and look, I, I do apologize that because I tend to love trash talk and ridiculousness that pundits like me don't, don't do enough to stop and say Poirier's everything like a man should be in terms of the public persona that he shows in these situations. I don't know what he's like in his real life. I'm sure he's a great dude. But like, you know, you wanna if you if your kids watch MMA and you're like, who do you hope they be like? Dustin Poirier. Yeah. You know?
0: All right, BC. Well with that out of the way, it's time for we watch Elder Abuse and um People lighting farts on fire.
1: Yeah, look, look. there's no other segment in the world like this. You know, that's why people tune in on Mondays for, for the shit that they haven't seen. Whether they've seen it or not, they need to see it again with your soundtrack behind it. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs and lows, and in between in combat sports and beyond, Luke. We call this, have you seen this shit? Oh, God. Oh oh, I shit my pants. Uh, UFC Fight Night in Las Vegas, Luke, I said this coming in, I said it before, I'll say it once more, Welterweight, Daniel Rodriguez, D-Rod is just fun to watch, Luke, he's he's all tatted up in like almost the jail variety, but he delivers beatings, he kicked the shit out of Preston Parsons in, th- in round three there, Luke, and finished him. Um, He's almost like growing as an action star in my mind, how do you like him as an actual fighter up to this point?
0: I mean, it wasn't his fault that the guy he was fighting was coming on a last-minute notice, but every time this guy's been asked to perform, he basically does. Um, I think highly of him. I think he's got good stand-up. He's got a good mind for it. Um, he's well-trained. Yeah, I think th- this is definitely a prospect to pay attention to.
1: He fights nasty, too. Though. I kind of like that. It was it was great stuff. All right, Luke, yeah. strawweight. Amanda Lemosh, 35-second finish of Montserrat Ruiz. Dude, the announcers were playing practice. it up luke that she's coming in the strawweight division do you have that same feeling after this
0: oh yeah dude i mean Montserrat, this was she got tuned up in this one and you notice people were complaining about the stoppage and i didn't think the stoppage was as clean as it could have been but i'll say this you didn't see conejo say anything about it she she just took the l she was like yeah yeah maybe that probably came to an end when it should have dude lemos lemos was going to end her one way or the other they saved her a beating
1: Yeah, hell of a finish there. Uh, We mentioned Billy Q did get the late stoppage there in the third round against Gabriel Benitez. Largely dominated Luke despite taking some big shots himself. Look at the finish here from back mount, as you were mentioning early in the show. It's rare that you see this, but Luke, he was just like little brothering him.
0: Yeah, you see it from back mount, which is to say you see it when someone is on the other one's back, but they're both facing the mat. What you don't see is when someone has the back and then their back is on the mat. That is unheard of.
1: Ooh, I didn't even realize that the fadeaway there from Billy Q was like uh, it was—you uh, know—put it up in the air right there. It was a little Sh- Sugar Sean-esque,
0: right? I—I uh, I, I missed it. I was trying to look into the camera.
1: Oh, his celebration was the basketball fallaway.
0: Let's see. Uh, oh, Kobe.
1: <laughs> R.I.P. Luke, girl, dad, like yourself. All right we we'll not right. forget about Colorado. Let's keep it going here, Luke. UFC, uh, Bellator 262 from the Mohegan Sun. Tyrell Fortune in this co-main event. Luke took care of Matt yeah. Matreon. Unfortunately for Meathead, it was this takedown that caused another headbutt. It's the same. He had lost to Tim Johnson largely because of that headbutt that hurt him. Luke, uh, you heard Meathead after. He was not happy, dude. This yeah, is a, this is a tough pissed. way to go out.
0: Yeah, I feel bad for him. It's not Tyrell Fortune's fault. And, you know, you could say it's Matt Mitrione's fault for ducking into him, but he was just trying to... It's no one's fault, really. It's just his really, really bad luck. I felt bad for Matt Mitrione because... Listen, man, the guy had to do a media cycle, and the guy who we made fun of on Friday's show for asking the terrible question, he actually hit us both up. He seems like a good dude. He realized he didn't ask a good question. You know, but okay, so you're Matt Mitrione. You know you're, what, 43, 44. You're doing media days, and they're asking about your losing streak. You know you have a losing streak. You know it hasn't been the same. And there's been, like, COVID and delays and injuries and everything else. He finally gets out there, and then within 30 seconds, he fucking gets headbutted in a terrible way and then loses the fight. I mean, you know... It's got to be frustrating, and you heard it in his voice. I felt really bad for Matt on I hope, I hope there's a chance for him to get back out there, and uh, maybe not against Tyrell Fortune, but you know, show win or lose. I think what he's just looking for BC is what a lot of fighters want is just a chance to prove what they can do at this point. Um, yeah. I hope he gets it. And
1: you know, nobody wants, you know. He also had that stick kick fight with Karatanov. Nobody wants to be involved in these fights where foul in some way, you know, hurts the chances. Either if it takes it away from you or gives you a chance to win. So that sucks, but. At some point, Luke, you are what your record says, and uh, it's, it's it's the end of days here for Mitriona, and Hopefully he gets another chance to go out in his own way and prove himself. Luke, middleweight uh, Johnny Eblen caught your fancy with his wrestling against Travis and Bam Bam Davis. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on this suplex takedown? Here?
0: Very good. Watch, he looks behind him, doesn't land on his shoulder, rolls through over his left, almost like a halfway Granby roll, and then maintains uh, control, and then watch, he comes up and then stiff arms with the left for the choke right there they don't quite show it but you can see he just about gets it that's textbook that's really really nice that's a great great suplex
1: yeah and lens are at it again luke saving you money at uh, at eblins here featherweight cody law deep on the bellator undercard was giving me Silva franklin vibes luke with this dominant finish of theodore makuka should i be paying any closer attention to cody law than i already have luke
0: no i've been paying attention to him as well he's only what four fights into his career or something it's still very early early signs are that he's a hammer this is a guy that bellator has signed and uh trains with a good team is a good fighter himself uh for what you have again we're still really early in the journey there's a there's this is it bellator has like maybe like 10 or so guys women too who are very junior in their career three to four fights let's say five or less where you know you cannot declare that they're future champions but every sign kind of indicates that in a couple of years the, this this flower is going to uh, bloom this looks like looks like one of those one of those type of guys
1: Luke, interesting bit of business here at KSW62. A fellow by the name of Tomas Sarara in his MMA debut suffered 10-8 rounds in the first two, Luke, and looked disastrous and rallied back for this dramatic victory that set the Polish fans off crazy. I got so many DMs about this. Did you watch this shit, Luke?
0: No. I, I, missed, I do like KSW but I, or whatever this is. I missed it, though.
1: After two ten eight rounds, a guy rallies in the third, gets top mount, basically exhausted opponent gets the win. <laughs> and look, this crowd's just going; sh- they're just going off, Luke. Okay, I guess it was wow. lost in translation here. You got to hear the audio, but this wow, this, this guy, dude, this
0: guy looks like us at the photo shoot. Absolutely
1: fantastic there. Uh, all right, Luke. Speaking of fat guys, uh, K one was back at it. Check out Jitsukata. K with this head kick finish. You know I love fat guys when they fight.
0: Boy, fat guys who can head kick are the most dangerous men on earth. Let me just tell you that right now. Good shit
1: right there. Shout out to Grabaka Hitman for always putting this type of stuff out into the ether sphere for us on Twitter. Uh, BYB6, Luke, inside the Trigon. It's bare knuckle fighting at its best. Watch Isaiah Quinones with the one-punch finisher.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: and the, back Ooh, and the back flip, backflip.
0: Bro, I like how they're like, yo, we don't want you guys ever six inches apart. Now go motherfucking (laughs) fight. We should just open up a promotion
1: called phone booth fighting or or men's restroom fighting. Look, this is what this is, basically. Yeah, dude, we'll
0: have a a commode on one side of the little square and like a toilet, you know, uh, like door on the other side, and then they'll just fucking fist fight.
1: Look, you ever go to like a super elite gentleman's club, like the kind that have like a stupid cover charge, and they put fresh ice in the urinals that's the be- i mean that's the best thing in the world luke isn't it
0: yeah and then you just pee on it with your hot urine to kind of kind of yeah. melt it and you feel pretty good about it yeah <laughs>
1: it's not bad it's not bad hey what's the, the most days, you've right? ever
0: what's the most you've ever spent at a strip club
1: look i'm not having this conversation with you here i mean come on you know luke all right i'm a, I'm a yeah. reformed man i don't i don't have to entertain this part of my life in the past luke okay all right i yeah, spent absolutely.
0: 700 dollars at spearmint rhino one time
1: You absolute dirt hole all right yeah. luke uh do you ever go to Cl- Club Supersex in Montreal?
0: Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, wow. wow. Patreon edition one day, Luke. Let's keep it going here. BYB6. Uh, everybody catches uh, catches
0: uh, punches in this, Dude, in this promotion. Dude, this guy Luke, even had the, r- the best post-fight speech. He literally told everyone in the audience to blow him. It was fucking I couldn't amazing. find
1: it. I was trying to find it, but watch that. Look at the ref take the left hook, Luke. You see that shit?
0: Yeah, I did. That, these old bastards are getting lit up more and more these days.
1: That interview was incredible. Paul Malnagy was the uh, announcer there. Luke, speaking of the BYB announce team, good Lord, Luke, is this an exotic team they put together. This is like the new Village people. What do we got here? We got... All right, hold on, hold on. Let me uh, see
0: see if I can identify them. So right to left... Can you blow
1: this up, please?
0: Yeah, blow this up. Let me see if I can do it. Right to left, you've got Dada 5000. Then you got Paulie. You got Mike Goldberg in the middle. You have uh, a gentleman from The Family Guy brought to life. (laughs) and then my accountant on the left
1: yeah i thought that was chief wahoo mcdaniel from the wwf luke that was fantastic right there wow uh this is a team this is a this is a uh, motley crew right there so shout out to byb uh they got a lot of clips off of this card luke that's what you want you want attention for the promotion uh karma coin is their chief sponsor there luke you a big fan of them
0: karma with a c i'm sure it's not a um i'm sure it's not you know
1: Sure, it's not a predatory loan. You wouldn't endorse yeah, those, no, Luke. I, I know that. All right, Luke, let's keep it going here. Uh, Dana White appeared on Newsmax. Let's see the results and hear them. <laughs> Why was Poirier's wife texting or, or attempting to text McGregor on Instagram? Any insight?
0: Have you heard anything? What's the word? So there was a... I, I haven't heard, but what I would assume it was is there was a huge beef between both camps over the uh the donation to poirier's charity and i'm sure the wife was reaching out about the donation for the charity
1: that's one theory <laughs> well we'll see we'll see i don't
0: i, know. I assure you oh, 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 was oh. he was reaching hey,
1: out to him poor you know mcgregor was uh flying on uh, saying all kinds of uh well wow. but that's mcgregor for you look he's a showman 100%. and we appreciate uh we appreciate the show Uh, Luke, that's one theory. You think this. uh, Who's this clown? And is he trying to imply that Jolie was uh, DM sliding here, Luke?
0: I mean, I'm guessing because the show is called Greg Kelly Reports that this gentleman is called Greg Kelly. But uh, it's just always funny to me. It's like, dude, Dana goes on like these like. Dude, this is not Fox News, which certainly has its own slant, but he goes on like Newsmax, which is like, dude, Newsmax is, a ima- remember like in the 90s when your old relatives would forward you like the craziest fucking email conspiracy theory and it was like forward re, mm-hmm. re, 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 you know, and it was like, yeah, it oh, they're-
1: it, it didn't stop in the 90s, Look, it still happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that, but yeah, but that's the genesis of it, that those people, those are the ones who watch Newsmax. And you know, listen. Here's one thing I've picked up on BC. Neither here or there. I know this is a light segment. We can leave it alone. But uh, the like the NFL and the NBA get a lot of positive coverage from like traditional media. UFC gets a lot of positive coverage from conservative media. Like they really like UFC for a lot of different reasons. That's something to pay attention to.
1: All right. All right. Uh, You know, that's one way to look at it, Luke. Let's keep it going here, Uh, Luke. Dogs are the best thing, really, that ever happened to us short of cats luke uh check out this dog he's gonna make sure luke that if, if we're having the snacks we're having a good time that he's oh, gonna get involved best. in this
0: this dog is like fuck your barbecue bitch
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh luke i have the dog love of my life named molly she's a part german shepherd part doberman part border terrier the first week we had her we had like a party at our house and we just told everybody, you know, keep the back door closed so the dogs can't go back inside near the food. Somebody left the back door open, Luke. Molly jumped on the counter. There was a a, a, a stack of bread. You know non-bread, like the Indian bread, Luke?
0: Mm-hmm. I love it.
1: It's it's thick as balls. Uh, there was a stack of it on top of a plate, like this big. Molly jumped up, grabbed the whole thing, pulled it down. And, Luke, she ate every single bite. Um Dogs are merciless when it comes to the 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 idea of of illegally securing human food. Luke, there's People no way not understand.
0: Dogs dogs are scavengers. That's what they are. They're scavengers. So you leave any kind of food, even with like, in a place that you don't think is around. But if they are if they can physically get there in any capacity whatsoever, they're taking your shit, dude. That's what they are. They're buzzards. They're vultures.
1: Like you know how you turn into like a rabid animal in Vegas with Taco Bell Cantina and in your old mm-hmm. days before your gallbladder fell out, you were apt to buy $125 worth of Taco Bell Cantina at one time. These dogs will, will eat stolen people food until their body gives out and they die in that moment, Luke.
0: Yes. You leave chocolate around, they'll just poison themselves to death on delicious, delicious chocolate. <laughs> kind of like Luke
1: with the dispensary. It's just real. I mean, it's just, you know, Luke's like, what do you got? You got, you know, you got the, what, what did Elvis take the day he died? Give me that. I'll take that.
0: Uh, was it fried banana and peanut butter sandwiches?
1: And like 18 different injections
0: of... Yeah, of, uh, and like codeine and, and, and Coke and yeah, PCP. Yeah. and.
1: Yeah, Elvis was an American hero. All right, Luke, skate or die time. Uh, anytime we involve a roof in one of these clips, usually a white person gets seriously injured. So your thoughts on this, Luke?
0: can't believe they're white so out of character oh, wow. excuse
1: me while i kiss the ground here uh jimmy wow that is that is incredible all right uh, if you're gonna do it off the roof you might as well do it off a bridge luke oh god I'll, i'm gonna I'm show tony hawk what to do here
0: i like how he's measuring it or she what is this i can't i can't see
1: it looks like a hipster male i think oh luke. fucking jesus christ you got balls, though, to try to pull this off, okay? Yeah, Big by the ones. way, I
0: don't know the race of this person.
1: Yeah, can you stop Asian hate already there, Luke? Uh, Dana White's <laughs> not doing that. I'll tell you
0: that much. <laughs> All right, that was a funnier bit. Shit, that thing opened up at the last minute, man. Good Lord.
1: Good God. All right, Luke. Uh, you got to watch where you're going these days. Uh, check out this lady. she got to get out of the tanning booth quickly, Luke.
0: Is there a car that's going to crash into it? Yeah. Oh, oh, God.
1: Oh, my God. It's... Oh, that's, that's, I like how the lady behind
0: the counter sees it and then doesn't do anything about it. Watch. Oh, and then she's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish this order to Papa John's. Fuck these Uh, moves.
1: Luke day drinking gone wrong again. You got to watch where you're going. Check out this guy. Probably a big soccer fan. Luke, you know, just got out of the pub. And just put oh it
0: down again. Yeah, hey, it's that always is- a good idea to drink a lot of booze and then go play Frogger with your life. <laughs> All right,
1: uh, Luke. Speaking of monstrosities, check out this young Hooper. This female is only fourteen years old. I say I monstrosity in a good four. way. She's seven foot four. God bless her, Luke. And look at the domination of middle school basketball. Who else wants some Advo, Luke? Oh come on! I mean, Luke, this is just this is like you just playing with your daughter right now. Just I mean, you're just you're just tipping the ball to your son. I mean, this is great.
0: Yeah, you know, she's got a future in 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 pro basketball. She may not even be any good. Does she have to be? She's going to be nine feet fucking tall. Who cares? Yeah.
1: Wow. And she's built too. I mean, she's going to be a problem in the post if she's got any kind of touch to her game, Luke. So hopefully, she can keep the train on the track. I mean, Yao Ming was great in bursts, Luke, but it's hard when somebody's that big and strong to for that frame to hold it, you know, Luke, it's it's a, it's a cruel, it's a cruel world we live in. All right, let's keep it going. Luke, it's time to, uh, let's check in on Tyron Woodley as trainer Pedro Diaz from Miami, put out this video of Tyron on the mitts. Luke, he's, he's getting pretty good, dude.
0: Listen, Tyron's a real fighter. You can say whatever else you want about him. You can talk about the losing streak. You can talk about where he's at. And those are all real things, but what you can't take away from the guy is he's a real athlete and a real fighter. And, uh, so I'm telling you, dude, this like probe out with Jake Paul, like I I feel very differently about it than I feel about the Logan Paul Mayweather fight, which was sort of like a silly little thing. This is definitely higher stakes for me.
1: August 29th, Showtime pay per view, Cleveland, Luke. I hope you and I are at that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm about yeah, I'm about me too. To spend That'd, the whole be fun. Day
0: That'd be There, be. You know why I want to go? Because the flight from DC to Ohio is not very far, so I don't mind.
1: Oh, great, great. So it's it suits you. You'll. Old- old ass uh look it's time oh, to rate yes. that tat okay let's rate that tat here's a uh
0: <laughs> a
1: thigh tattoo uh your thoughts on this
0: um it's pretty good it's pretty good um it's very good actually it's very good i you know it's a. again we're we're we're, we're putting aside the conceptuality of it whether or not we would want it can you blow it back up or not for just a second I can't tell are those McGregor's fingers or is the hand of this other dude catching McGregor's fist?
1: Well, good call on that. I think it's the hand of the other dude, but no, no, that's McGregor. It's McGregor's fingers.
0: I, I can't quite tell, but in either case, the coloring is interesting. I like how that there is obviously like poppy color on the new. This is what you would call like a new school tattoo, BC, with the the guy. I guess who's some Dragon Ball Z character, and then you've got kind of like a portrait realist version of mcgregor and they've melded the two this is this is a high level tattoo it's not perfect but it's it's very good
1: all right let's see the uh the 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 worm grow into the butterfly here with with full cocoon growth are you a fan of this tattoo of a uh, i guess it's a beetle but watch when the when the i've seen this one as
0: well yeah i gotta tell you dude i'm not there's people who get tattoos of insects okay let me tell you what's played out less so insects although that's just not personally for me if you get a lion and a cl- and like a clock and like a crown tattooed on your arm, you're a fuck boy. That's that's kind of what you are. Okay. This one is okay. not that territory, but it's like, dude, you want to get fucking insects tattooed on you? I mean, you know, to each his own or whatever. But I, I, I it's not, it's not for me.
1: Yeah, real, real, real G's get the flag of the of the city they live in on their on their forearm Luke. You
0: know I'm, I'm not asking you to like that either. I don't think that's for everybody. But it, again, this person that would tell me to fuck off too. It's not
1: too. for Jared Hurd. It's not for Jared Hurd, I'll tell you that yeah, much Luke. I
0: couldn't believe he didn't write. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Okay, whatever. Sorry. All
1: right, Jared. speaking of UFC lightweights, Luke, did you see Charles Oliveira went down to Yonkers, New York, to the f- world famous Yonkers raceway and won himself a harness race, Luke?
0: Is this ethical? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: I believe that's uh, Doe Bronx on the left. And by the way, Yonkers is on the, the border with the Bronx, New York, Luke. So Doe Bronx getting it done here against some other jockey.
0: Yeah, um, I guess this is ethical. I don't know. Okay. I guess.
1: All right. Luke, people come from different backgrounds. To some people, is the way to get down, Luke, okay?
0: Yeah, but I mean, okay, yeah. You ever been to a cockfight? Uh <laughs> <laughs> in my pants, Luke,
1: but no, no, not, not anywhere uh, Dude, tangible. Could you, no, like, could, you be,
0: could you be more of the dad humor in the station wagon today? Could you do that? Could you stop being yourself, BC, please? All right, you J-hole. I'll turn, oh, this, going, I'll turn this car around, young man.
1: We didn't get undisputed champion on Saturday night, but undisputed 140 pound champion Josh Taylor showed off his fire pit outside, Luke. Your thoughts? Badass. God
0: bless, God bless that man, I gotta tell you. A fire pits winners. B you unify a weight class, you can get whatever you want put on the steel of that fucking thing. So God bless it. That nothing, thing's pretty badass. Rocks. I
1: I kind of want this now at home. I want to get. I want to see if I can buy this exact one. All right, maybe I'll feel like a champion. Luke, white people are gonna white people. You know that. So check out this uh, this husky girl going for a, a swing and a miss here with the kick. <laughs> Was Ouch. she trying to do the bottle cap challenge? I I think so, Luke. I think so. There's, Dude,
0: uh, you love husky women falling, and old people getting hit by cars. In we ways all have that is our our vices. Hard in life. Luke, overstay. let's go
1: on to uh, this white gentleman here. Uh, Luke, I hear when you use the shotguns, there's a kickback.
0: Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> oh
1: You'll sh- you'll shoot your eye out, son. Wow, it's is, like uh, first of all, I don't
0: great. even know if that's a legal munition because he's got it's a sawed-off shotgun. It looks like I can't quite tell. And then he, he doesn't have two hands on it. He's got just the one. And even then, the hand is bent. He doesn't have it like kind of out in front, although it's a little harder to, to, uh, to uh, control that way. He looks, but,
1: like the, he looks like the caddy from uh, Happy Gilmore, the, the kid, right?
0: There was this weapon that uh, some, a friend of mine fired years ago. I forget what it was called. It was like a 500 nitro, something like that. And uh, he actually put it in his shoulder, and it was the kick was so strong, it dislocated it. I forget which wow. weapon he was firing, but yeah.
1: Maybe maybe it was a Desert Eagle 50 caliber handgun, Luke.
0: Desert Eagle wouldn't dislocate your shoulder.
1: All right, all right. If I was going to buy a gun, and I'm not, I'm not in the market, Luke. I would I would buy that that Commando Arnold Schwarzenegger gun. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a nice one. All right.
1: All right, Luke, I got one more for you, although I predicted our eventual demise to open the show. I hope we make it all the way, Luke, to the point that we are old bastards like these two going tip and tip and just having an Andy in the other guy Shawshank ending. Luke, what do you think?
0: Look, at belly first on these two whales. Look at these orca. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Their willingness to go tip on tip, though, Luke, has to be commended. That's, yeah. that's you on the right. Without question, that's you on the right. Yeah, with look, my look
0: underwear and diarrhea. Yeah, and that's you in the singlet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, these two are gross, but if we can be this happy this long in life, I feel like you've won, BC.
1: All right. All right. I mean, even Mike and the Mad Dog eventually got divorced, Luke. Okay? How long are you were willing to go in this relationship? All right?
0: As long as it takes, bro. As long as it takes. Okay.
1: All right. All right. That's the shit for the week, Luke. What do you got for the other thing we do?
0: Uh, odds and ends, BC. I usually pitch it to you first if you'd like it, but I can go first if that's better for you. What do you want to do?
1: Yeah. Why don't you catch? Why don't you catch? Okay.
0: Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know what to make of this again, fighters are going to say what they're going to say pre fight. You just got to let it be what it is. But just for clarification, since we discussed it on last Friday, the Nevada state athletic commission confirms that McGregor did not list on his pre fight questionnaire as having any kind of, uh, you know, fracture or lower leg uh, any injury that would have in any way flagged them to pause the, the fight. Now, of course, the natural response to this is going to be, well, he's hiding it as a result of, uh, you know, wanting to get the fight to happen. Yeah, fair enough. He, he might be. You're not supposed to do that kind of thing. I actually tend to think that fighters not disclosing injuries is fairly routine on pre fight questionnaires. I'm just pointing out we have a little bit more information now about this. We'll have to see what the Netflix documentary says, but there's not a lot of evidence to this point to indicate that, like, short of a you know a somewhat questionable strategy and bad luck that there's anything else to attribute to what happened to mcgregor beyond that that's it
1: yeah i saw a lot of people reacting to our reaction when we were like you know if this is true that there was a pre-pre-disclosed injury there why would you know what the hell are you doing leading with an injured limb a lot of people took that as sort of like well it wasn't him being stupid the, it, the limb wasn't that injured you know what i mean he and he suffered it in the in the midst of the battle either way luke it's uh Either way, we're going to see it again. Luke, do you think there's any chance we don't see that? I mean, if McGregor loses in some kind of comeback fight, we're probably not going to see the fourth. Do you think we need the fourth? We don't really need it, Luke. It's just I a don't, big money I, opportunity.
0: I, I, yeah, I don't need it. I think some folks need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. All right. All
1: right, that's Luke. What do you, you, what you got for it. odds and ends? Uh, it's, it's time we have a real honest talk here about Rolando Romero, Luke, a.k.a. <laughs> Roly. You love uh, Roly. Your unbeaten, vacant title holder, interim title holder there at 135. Luke, he was in the Colmaine Saturday night against a out-of-control Anthony Yegid who missed weight by five pounds and really couldn't find his balance throughout the fight. If you don't know who Roley Romero is, get learnt quickly. His style is crude and raw, and his punches are telegraphed, but Luke, the, the kid hits freaking hard as he turned this foul-filled brawl into a, a knockout win, and I'm going to give Roley credit in that regard. Um But the thing about Rolly is, Luke, he's just that dude. He don't care. I don't know what goes on inside his head, but I'll have seriously what he's having, Luke. There is not, I mean, I have beliefs that I cling to in life, Luke, that define me, that I get up and it depends on my day based on this belief. I believe in the power of Christ, Luke, even if you can't back me in that i believe that you know good overpowers evil in the end i believe in hope i believe luke that ketchup really makes any meat better until it spoiled my liver luke nobody believes even in my personal beliefs that i just named you more than one thing than Rolly romero believes in his own power he not only knocked out anthony Yigit, but can we go to the video here of his post fight interview here manich check this out What do you want to do next? I want Javante Davis want 140. You really think you're ready for that? Yes, I want him at 140. Why, why do you think you're ready for that after 13 fights? I mean, what, he got it at 16, no? I have 14 now. So I'm ready for it. Time to stop him. I'm going to knock him out.
0: You think it's realistic?
1: I know it is. I know I know what he can do, but I know what I can do. I'm a lot stronger. Luke, I've seen the Full gamut reaction to this video, to the post-fight press conference when Romero boldly called Devin Haney the Amir Khan of the lightweight division and said, his, you know he'll knock him out with one punch." People look at this guy as an idiot, a clown, the bad guy that boxing needs, a villain. To some people, even questioning if he's mentally there. Luke, I'm going to go on record as saying this: We need more guys willing to play this role. I am all in on the Roly Romero experience. Luke, it appears to be a little misguided since his style is crude as all hell, but this kid's power is for real and his personal hutzpah is, is at a nuclear next level, Luke. Again, it could be very misguided for him to say, hey, Gervonta, meet me at 140, bro. Meet me in Temecula. Let's do this thing. But I will be front row trying to find out what that looks like.
0: Yeah, he. It, this fight was, a, I won't say a train wreck. It was entertaining as hell. Yiggett was kind of all over the place, coming on short notice, overweight. These two got tripped up over themselves a number of times. Romero just kind of going berserk without a lot of technique. Um, but he does have a lot of power. He's got a lot of gumption. But, dude, a fight against Tank Davis, oof, I think Tank would do horrible. Well, things,
1: that's the man. thing. Watching Romero's style, you're like, Okay, I already saw him got out outboxed by Jackson Mariñez, who's not a big name but was a slick boxer and did it. I'm like, any of these elite lightweights, at least from the eye test, dude, they're going to walk in there against somebody this crude, sidestep and figure him out and knock him the hell out. But, Luke, yeah. there's something just maniacal next level about the way Romero carries himself, and I've decided to embrace it and love it. It's uh, it's, it's entertaining, dude. It is fun to watch. Um yeah, let's, let's see it happen. Let's roll the dice, Luke. Let's see this guy. I've seen him already compared to Ricardo Mayorga, who, of course, you know, the former boxing uh, unified welterweight champ. While certainly we look at Mayorga as one of the greatest, most ridiculous trash talkers of all time, peak Mayorga, Luke, was so awkward and orthodox and just came after you that a lot of guys, including the great late Vernon Forrest, got tricked up and caught into a war with him, and they got knocked out. I mean, could you imagine Roley against... Ryan Garcia, Haney, Teo, Gervonta, any of these guys, dude. He should get the floor mopped with him. Dude, there's a difference
0: difference between being, like, the concerted villain that Mayorga was and then people, like, kind of poo-pooing you because you're a donk. (laughs) Romero's a donk. Like, this is sort of what he is, you know? He's willing to play that role, Luke.
1: He's willing to act like uh, everyone sees what he sees. You do have to give the kid credit. The combination of balls and power—it does make him interesting.
0: For sure, for sure. Like that, Like next time he fights, I'm all in. I'm just saying, you know, you want to fight Tank Davis, boy, you call down the thunder on that one. You better be real careful with what with what comes your way. So, that's look, we
1: got to get this chap on morning combat. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta press yeah. this guy in certain ways. I gotta hear what he's made of. Okay, I gotta see this. You are know, step into my ring, the MK ring. We're gonna fight. You know, I, I did, I did pull Floyd on the ropes. I mean, you know, you, it, you know, a little bit, I did. a little bit. Then
0: he came roaring back a little bit, but you know, you had your moment. Was it
1: 50 and one was it 50 and one? No, but uh, you know, yeah. Okay.
0: That, that's you all took a couple of rounds off of them. Uh, okay. Well, that's it for us today. We went about two hours here on this Monday show. We appreciate y'all watching. If you uh, just as a reminder, we are all over the socials. We're all over everything. Uh, so you can give us a follow on Instagram. You can give us a follow on Twitter. You can follow me and BC on that space as well for Wednesdays. Fan submissions for Friday's dead wrong morning combat at gmail.com. Send them in, please. We want some fan subs, man. Let's see some, some funny Photoshop's you lazy fucks. Let's see some shit out there. Yeah. So
1: yeah. why don't you step up your game? Okay. Yeah. All
0: right. Yeah, guys, Jesus Christ. Uh, and then what else? Uh, if you want to try showtime. You still can showtime.com 30 day free trial. If you like it. You can keep it. If not, you can go to something else with your life. We have morningcombat.store dot store for the merch that we somehow don't seem to wear very much. And uh, what else, BC, if, I, if I've forgotten anything? Well, I had a...
1: No, you, you nailed all the beats. And, look, th- Showtime for 30 days free. July 31st is, uh, is Pitbull versus McKee. And we're going to have right. a resume review coming out shortly, Luke. That's going to be fantastic. And uh, you're going to need to see that fight. So you're going to need 30 days of free Showtime. So get on that train if you're not on it. But, Luke, I wore this pro wrestling t-shirt to kind of try to uh, reignite myself. A lot of people know, Luke, I stopped watching the genre... Back when I got taken off of that beat for CBS Sports, which coincided with, right before the pandemic, which coincided, to be candid, with just some of the most shitty WWE booking that I I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't freaking take it. Well, I've been in and out of AEW lately, and they've been fantastic, and they're ramping up, but Luke, I heard Money in the Bank last night was just, you know, Cena return. there was, Roman Reigns stood tall, um... I may have to get back. I may have to get back for just a taste, Luke. I'm not asking you to join me. I don't want you to be a part of this. I'm just saying to the people out there that, that care about, it, they're like BC, we want you back. If we're going to do drugs, we want to do the same drugs with you. I may, have to start, I may have to start doing drugs again, Luke. I may have to get it back into this, okay? They're calling me. They're, ca- they're calling me, Luke, and I, I may answer. So um, yeah. it was great knowing right. you. And uh, yeah. All right. Why don't you take the show home, Luke? You know, we we had a good run, though. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you. All
0: right. Very good. Uh, That is Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks to Malka, CBS Sports, and Showtime. We'll be back on Wednesday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.